0: Hello and welcome to episode 115 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it today. We are recording on January 21st, 2019. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com. I am also 50% of the show, and I am also hyped as hell to be recording the show today for like no reason in particular either. I'm just in a really good mood right now. Um, And joining me as always, who I hope is in an equally good mood, is Brad Galloway. He is the editor of Game Critics. How are you today, Brad?
1: I am doing good. I am in equally good spirits. Always look forward to recording with you, sir, and I am very excited to get this down in an audio format. (laughs) Not that we would ever have a different format, but, you know, still excited anyway, still
0: excited. (laughs) All right, well, okay, we're recording. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so um, I don't know what to say to that. Uh, Happy
1: Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I guess. happy Martin Luther
0: King Jr. Day. Um, Stop appropriating black people's stuff. Stop appropriating uh, his quotes for white supremacy and... Uh, let's move on. Brad, you have some housekeeping stuff.
1: <laughs> let's get us before today. we get ourselves into trouble. Yes. Yes. Happy MLK mm. day. Moving on. Yeah. A couple things. Housekeeping really quickly. Um, we didn't cover these in the banter and I meant to, but. Uh, Heads up. uh, First, we have an extra segment today. The long, long requested return of my son and his nine-year-old game reviews is back. (laughs) We will be having that after the show, but before the banter. So it will be sandwiched in between those segments. Um, He reviews a handful of games. I believe he covers Steep. He also covers PUBG, Player Unknown Battlegrounds. And he also covers Paw Patrol on a roll. So that's a pretty good selection of games there. My kid gets uh, all over different genres, all over different types, all over different ESRB ratings. Um, So he is is back. He is back with his nine-year-old game reviews. So look for that if you're a fan of my son. Also, just a quick heads up. When I went to the store yesterday, I saw Overwatch Legos for the very first time. There was a whole big shelf of them. So heads up that those are out in the wild. I saw small kits. I saw big kits. There's some with electronics built in. Uh, My wife got the one that was a double pack of D.Va and Reinhardt, and it's this big box of stuff. So if you're an Overwatch fan and you're also a LEGO fan, this is your time. And finally, I just wanted to give a quick shout out uh, to all of our listeners. Uh, You may not know, but the other members of Game Critics have been kind of getting their half of the podcast world back uh, on track. They recently put out a Game of the Year show, which is available at GameCritics.com. If you don't see it on the homepage, please check the podcast tab. Uh, but also, they've—it they, seems like they're getting a brand new show off the ground. So I wanted to give a shout out to those guys. Uh, the most recent ep—well, ep, it would help if I could. Episode.
0: Episode. I, I am podcasting no, with Sean Connery. Little do you know. Oh, oh, oh! oh <laughs> it went Scottish
1: there for me. Ep, Episode. I can't. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I want to embarrass myself. Uh, the newest epi show is going to be up at, uh, game critics. Uh, so far, I think it's, uh, Richard and Richard Nyack and Mike Susky, the two of them covering some recent games. So if you want more stuff to listen to, uh, that still has a game critics flavor to it, go over there and check it out. Shout out to those guys in their show. Best of luck to them and tell them that we sent you. Um, and I think that's all the housekeeping I have at the moment. Although after games, uh, chat, we will have a little bit of listener topic discussion. So stay tuned for that. Corey, anything housekeeping related from you, sir? Uh,
0: I think for once in my life, I don't have any housekeeping, which is bizarre. Um, so let's jump into games.
1: Let's jump into games. Sounds perfect. Sounds perfect. I will lead things off this week. I do not have a lot to say on this one. Um, so I, I'm going to be talking about one more game later in the show. That's the game that's been taking up all of my time. And since I've become a stay-at-home dad, ironically, you would think that my time to play games would like drastically increase. Exactly the opposite. I actually had more, game, more time to play games when I was working than I do now. Um, so my game time has been really curtailed lately, and I've been having a tough time finding uh, just the space to play games. But I was bound and determined to not come to this show today with only one game to talk about because I feel like I would be letting the listeners down. So I, I took some time last night, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to just take this limited time that I have. I'm going to try something new, and whatever it is, I'm going to talk about it on the show. And what I chose was a game called Nippon Marathon, N-I-P-P-O-N, like the Japanese word for Japan. This sounds like some
0: kind of tentacle porn, first of all.
1: You know, I kind of wish that it was. I kind of wish that it was. (laughs) It is not tentacle porn, although that is... (laughs) It's interesting she you went there, but no, no, no. Um, For people who remember the wild, woolly, crazy days of the PS1, and even the earlier days of the PS2... If you were playing games at that time, you will probably remember it was a very different scene back then. We hadn't settled into established genres. We didn't have the same kind of like five AAA releases that we get year after year. Uh, A lot of experimental stuff was coming out, a lot of weird stuff, a lot of fringe stuff. I love that period of gaming. It's probably my favorite period of gaming of all time, just because you never knew what you were going to get. And there was all sorts of crazy, just craziness coming out. Uh, For example... Uh one of my favorite games of that time was uh an excavation simulator. I don't even know what it was called. It was like you took control of a backhoe and like you did different scenarios <laughs> with the backhoe there was digging but there was also racing and there was like you had to move things and like use the backhoe in all these different ways I wish I could remember what it's called I have a copy of it but I don't remember what it's called I'm sure so,
0: you love using the backhoe in all those different ways
1: oh my god all the different ways dude all the different ways get backing up the backhoe it was so good backhoe <laughs> there was uh, the famous Mr. Mosquito I'm sure people have heard about where you played a mosquito that was sucking blood from a Japanese family crazy insane stuff Uh, No One Can Stop Mr. Domino was another popular one that was really crazy Japanese flavor. Incredible Crisis was a big one where this Japanese family was getting into all sorts of just really absurd scenarios, all sorts of minigames, and just like really just unpredictable wild, wild stuff. I love that tone of stuff. And we just don't really see it that much anymore. Um, Less experimental stuff, less wild stuff. So... When I was approached by the developers to talk about Nippon Marathon, they I think they grabbed me on Twitter, I'm pretty sure. I think I was talking about it with someone, or someone was talking about it, and then they were like, hey, would you like to try this? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll try it. Yeah, no no worries, man. So they sent me a code, full disclosure. I, I played this with a code from the developer. It is that same kind of Japanese flavor where really weird, really bizarre, colorful. The premise is that you are one of four different characters, you're running in this kind of like weird community-based marathon where you run in groups of four and it's kind of like a a across Japan race sort of a thing. But there's also little story segments. Everybody's running for their own reasons. Uh, There's like a guy in a lobster costume. There's um, (laughs) a couple, a couple other people. The guy I picked was a guy who like literally has a dog head for a head. And I'm not sure exactly why. I'm not sure if he's supposed to be a dog or he's the victim of some kind of weird experiment or something, but it's just like a guy with a dog's head. And he wants to get in this marathon for reasons, reasons, reasons. So I'm like, okay, this is crazy, colorful. It's weird. Japan flavor. I don't think it's actually from Japan. I'm pretty sure that it's not, but they're kind of going for that zone. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I'll just check it out. Cause I, I do have a soft spot for these wacky games. So it's like a three quarters or a top down kind of perspective. You start at, the, fin- at the, the the beginning line with uh, four th- people total, you included, and then you run. There's all sorts of like obstacles, like barrels to dodge and hurdles. And then sometimes there'll be like dogs chasing you on the track or somebody like, like a worker will have a really long like plywood two by four and they're swinging it around the track. So you got to like duck under it or you can try to jump over it or just go around it. But basically, you just want to get to the end of the finish line first Along the way you can pick up fruit and eat it and that will give you like a quick speed boost or you can try to throw it at a competitor and like trip them up. Uh, but that's basically kind of about it. I mean I think most of the the value of this game is probably getting three friends together or four friends together and just kind of playing it you know as a hey, we all had like six beers and we're drunk now and we're gonna play this game and then we're gonna laugh a lot. I think that's what they were really shooting for, but there is a single player mode. So, I was already predisposed to like this game. It was definitely in this kind of vibe that I like, the style that I I have a lot of affection for. Um, Always up for something that seems wacky and off the wall. Started playing this game and it is fucking terrible. It is just like, it is garbage. It is so garbage. It is terrible. It is bad. I'll tell you what happened. So I start the game. (laughs) It's really bad. I start the game. I get through way too much story. Like I got to the point where I was getting really impatient with the story. Like I wanted to just start playing the, the, the shot goes off. We start running. Uh, the three AI characters like take off ahead of me. One of them just like gets way out in the lead and there's no way to really catch up unless you grab a fruit to eat and get a boost. So if you don't grab a fruit, like there's no way to improve your speed. And once that guy gets ahead of you, all you got to do is wait for him to fall or he gets hit or something. And if he doesn't, then you're fucked. But what happened was I was still learning the controls. I, I, we break out from the starting line I get tripped over, um, I don't know, like a hurdle or something, like I missed time to jump. I fell down. The camera proceeded to follow the person who was in the lead. I was left behind, and the camera followed him all the way to the end, and my guy was completely <laughs> left off of the screen. I had no idea where I was. I couldn't see where I was. I couldn't catch up. I just sat there and waited for the race to continue until he finished. And I'm like, Wow. In most games, they want you to be on the screen because they realize that's how video games work. Apparently, these guys didn't get the fucking memo. So that was really not a good way to start. Uh, I'm like, okay, well, that was a glitch. Clearly, they don't have a big budget for this game. That's fine. I can be flexible. I like jank. It's okay. Went back and started again. Happened again. Okay, I'm like, this is getting really fucking irritating. I just don't like this now. Uh, Tried it again. And it's like, it's really hard to judge anything. Like you try to jump over things and it seems like you should be able to jump over them, but then you trip over them halfway. Maybe it's because the camera is top down and so you can't judge height very well. Sometimes you're supposed to duck under things, but I can't tell what I'm supposed to duck under and what I'm supposed to jump over. And once you fall, I mean, forget about it. You're not going to catch back up. There's no way because the AI just takes off and you're just, you're just not ever going to catch back up. Um, controls are really janky and stiff. Uh, There really wasn't a lot to it. I mean, you're just running. And once you... I mean, unless you're able to run a perfect race, you're not going to win one. Um, I tried, I think, five or six times. And I think I only finished once. I don't think I even finished the other like four or five times. Like I just could never, never, never catch back up. And I just was like really frustrated. I'm like, this is really poorly designed. Um, like, Like impossibly poorly designed. Not even not even so bad. It's good. It's just bad. Like, I just don't understand what these guys were even doing. I mean, maybe they threw in that single player mode just to be able to sell it to people who don't have friends, but it doesn't work. It's not fun. It's not balanced. It's not interesting. The mechanics not polished. Controls not polished. It doesn't, it doesn't flow. I mean, any, any game where your character gets left off screen while the AI takes off without you needs to go back to the drawing board. That's just not how video games work. So I was in on the style I mean, a guy with a dog's head, that seems funny to me. I'm going to give that a try regardless. And it seemed like they were really going for that weird experimental Japanese vibe that I love from the PS1, PS2 era. But boy, I mean, that's no excuse for not having mechanics. That's no excuse for not having gameplay. Like this could have been a really fun, quirky, you know, weird game, weird niche game that I would have been happy to celebrate. But man, there is just no gameplay here. And it is so rough. I, I think I played it total for about Oh man, I want to say maybe 20 minutes. And I was like, fuck this. This is so busted and dumb and crappy. I just can't play it anymore. So I deleted it immediately. Uh, I will never play it again. I will never talk about it again. I'm very disappointed because I thought it was going to be fun. It is the opposite of fun. Uh, Nippon Marathon, it is no good. These guys need to go back to the drawing board and get their fundamentals down. I'm sorry to be so um, dismissive, but it's just a really poor product. I'm glad I didn't pay for it. I would have been really angry if I had paid for it. Uh, It's just not a good game. So there you go.
0: Corey, thoughts? Do you know what this game needs? <clears throat> uh, I think you're going to tell me. I, w- I will tell you. Um, this is going to date me a little bit, but this is something that I'm happy to be dated by. This game needs the NES track and field oh God. pad <laughs> that you run on. That sounds like this is exactly what this game is supposed to be. You're supposed to have the, the track and field pad. I remember fond memories of my childhood being in the basement at the house I grew up in with that stupid track and field, that red and blue and gray pad on the floor, yep, just yep, stomping yep. on it like a madman while playing track and field, that is what this game needs. And maybe that would make it a little bit better. And also, it sounds like, I mean, it clearly sounds like this is the kind of game where the developers or publisher or whoever is kind of hoping that maybe this will be like a, like a streaming game where people like play it and they're like, ha let's have fun while people watch us play this kind of game, like a big like Twitch gatherer. But imagine if you got to watch people play this game on Twitch or play it yourself on the track and field pad, people running their asses off, looking like total dorks, but in the best way possible. Like how how much better would that make this game? I mean, assuming that they like rein in the camera controls and actually get it like mechanically well underway.
1: Oh, 100%, dude, 100%. Like I absolutely agree. I mean, if you're in a, a game like this, with how few mechanics are in it, like running is the only thing that makes sense in it because you might as well actually be doing the goddamn marathon because then at least you get some cardio out of it and it would be funny as hell to watch that and i mean like like when you look at the game like it looks like a fun time like just seeing a picture of it you're like oh that looks goofy i bet i'm gonna laugh and it just comes crashing down when you play it but i think that's a brilliant comment actually if the, if the pad the nes like what was, what was it even called like the uh, what
0: the fuck was it called like the like excite pad or the jump pad or something like that i don't even know what it's called I don't know. You know the what called? Jump Pad sounds right, but I'm not sure. I just know that the uh, game was called Track and Field.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know what the pad is called, but I know what you're talking about. That is exactly a brilliant thing. These guys should look into that as a way of salvaging their game. But then again, again <laughs> I guess they would have to manufacture a pad. Maybe they don't want to do that. Uh, they probably don't have the money for that. But Totally. It also anyway. sounds
0: like... Um, it kind of sounds like... Also, I don't want to like drag this out because I know this no, game is no, no, with, but this sounds like the kind of game that should be in you know like there's like mario party and it's just like a game of mini games that's what it sounds like this game should be it should be like a smaller mini game in a larger package of game of mini games or something like that with like a dare i say it running theme um it doesn't sound like this is enough to be a standalone game
1: i see what you did there i see what you did there give me props for running thing that was very good that was very good uh yes you're correct it does not feel like a whole game it does not feel like there's enough here it certainly doesn't function like one. So yeah, this would be, I mean, yeah, totally like a goofy minigame that would have been packaged along with 12 other weird Japanese minigames back in 2000, <laughs> 2001 uh, or whatever. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. This was bad experience, bad experience. Uh, it just goes to show that cute doesn't get you very far if you don't get your fundamentals down. So uh, I don't think I was asking for much and these guys did not deliver. I'm sorry to say it, but total failure. Mm -hmm. Nippon Marathon is awful and terrible, and I don't recommend it. Even on sale, it's a bad experience. Uh, So enough about that garbage. Um, Corey, Onimusha Warlords, boy, you know, I know Capcom was reviving this. I played this back in the day. I haven't thought about it in years, but it is now available in a remastered format, and you have played it, sir. Tell us
0: all about it. I will. I also, same for me. I played it. I mean, okay, fascinating thing about this game is that, like, it came out on the PlayStation 2 in, like, 2001. And I... I, I know I played this back in the day. Like, I know when I was a young child, again, in the house I grew up in, probably in the basement with the PlayStation 2 hooked up to the TV, I know I had to have played this. However... I, I Gamefly'd the, the new remastered version on Emotional Warlords, which is on PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. I feel like a numb nuts because I should have gotten it on Switch because I need an excuse to play my Switch more, but for some reason, I got it on PS4. Maybe I didn't realize it was out on Switch whenever I rented it on Gamefly or put it on my GameCube. Um, but I've been playing it on PS4. I, every step of the way through this game, I can't remember anything. Like, I know I played this game whenever I was younger. And coming back to it, I can't remember anything about it. Like, obviously, I remember, like, the character design of the lead of the lead character, because he's, like, I mean, I'm not going to call him, like, iconic, but, you know, he's a recognizable character. But I don't remember anything that's going on. So <clears throat> to put some context on this, this game is called Onimusha Warlords. Um, back in sort of, like, the launch stage of the PS2, roughly, um, Onimusha was sort of, like, It was, like, Capcom had, like, Resident Evil. That was, like, their big, sort of, like, flagship franchise. Um, I don't know if Monster Hunter was around back then, but Monster Hunter, I think, is, like, the second top-selling Capcom franchise. And at a certain point in time, Onimusha was sort of, like, their next big thing. Like, you know, they had Devil May Cry also, and they had Onimusha kind of, like... (sighs) existing in the same, uh, universe together, if you will, or not, you Dino but...
1: crisis was back then too. Oh, right? oh my
0: God. Dino crisis. I'm so glad you said that because I love Dino crisis and I want nothing more than Capcom to bring that back. Cause Dino crisis Two is like the best. Yeah. Yeah, it ever. is. You know, it um, is. Oh my God. Dino crisis. Okay. Okay. I'm getting like really, Dino know, crisis, about, man. Bring it back. I'm stuff. down. I'm down. Absolutely. Um, well, okay. So the thing about all of these games basically is that like Capcom had sort of resident evil as their like template for games, like Back then, it was fixed camera angles, third-person camera angles, tank controls, um, pressing a button to ready your weapon, and pressing, like, attack buttons. Like, that was sort of, like, their thing. And so at a certain point, Capcom, like, kind of sort of made um, sort of, like, offshoots of this. Because Onomusha, it looks and feels kind of like a Resident Evil game. But it's obviously not a Resident Evil game. Because Onomusha is, like... Japanese warlords, like, fighting with swords in these, like, old castles and stuff. Um, You know what this is
1: like, dude? You know what this is totally like? What is this totally like? This is just like, you're exactly right. I'm glad you brought this up in the way you did. This is why we're partners, because you're (laughs) brilliant. Uh, But this is exactly like Telltale, where they got a template down, and then they spun it off into different properties. But actually, the core game was kind of the same. So, like, Capcom spinning off their stuff into, like, Onimusha and Resident Evil and Dino Crisis. Like, those are all of, of a piece. Those were all kind of the same thing, kind of just like what Telltale did. But this was, like... Back in the day. So you were exactly correct, dude. That's a very good observation.
0: Yeah. And so, th- first of all, thank you for recognizing that. I'm so smart. Um, and second <laughs> of all, um, like, that is like literally what happened because, like, Anamusha and Dino Crisis, they played exactly like Resident Evil's. You know, they had the tank controls, they had the third person um, camera angles, the fixed camera angles, you know, the ready weapon button, the attack button. Um, And even, if I'm not mistaken, whenever Devil May Cry was in development, it actually started as a Resident Evil game, and that at a certain point down the line, they just spun it off into its own franchise. I'm not sure if the same is true for um, Onimusha and Dino Crisis, but... um, So Onimusha is a... If I haven't established this enough already, it's a third-person action game. um, Very, I mean, very similar in control and in style to Resident Evil, where it has, like, the pre-rendered backgrounds, and you kind of move in tank controls, and... Um, It's a lot more action-oriented than Resident Evil, because obviously Resident Evil was more of a survival horror game. It was a little slower paced. It was more about conserving ammunition and deciding sort of like when to engage and when to run away, some of which is true for Onimusha. But um, Onimusha is ostensibly, you play as a Japanese samurai named uh, Semenosuke, and he is off to rescue a princess from some castle where these demons have like I don't know, like all these like demonic sort of monsters have come from some realm. I'm probably getting some of these details wrong. And they've like taken her hostage, uh, locked her up in the castle somewhere. I mean, kind of not unlike Mario in a weird way, Um, you know, (laughs) saving a princess from a castle. There's a lot more swords and a lot more cutting people. Um, But it kind of controls, uh, I mean, it's just a very similar game layout. And I don't remember like many of the details about playing this on PS2, but coming back to it on PS4, um... Uh, they, they've made some smart decisions about the controls, first of all. So something that I really like is that if you use the D-pad to control in the PS4 version, it does tank controls. So you can press up to move forward, press down to move backwards, and then left and right turn you left and right. But if you use the control stick, it moves in 3D controls, where wherever you push the stick, they move that direction. So I really like that because it gives you... Both movement options on the fly right there because something that like Silent Hill 2 did, for example, they let you do either tank controls or 3D controls, but you had to go into the menu, the options menu and, and uh, toggle them on which one you wanted to do. But on a mushe, you can do whichever one you want right then and there, depending on if you use the D-pad or if you use a control stick, which I think is really cool. Um, R1 is sort of like your lock on button. Um, L1 is your block button. And then square is an attack. Uh, and triangle is sort of like an elemental attack button and you get early in the game, you get this gauntlet and basically whenever you kill stuff, it's, it reminds me a lot of Ninja Gaiden, uh, where, um, they, they're sort of like their essence will come out of their dead bodies and you hold the circle button and he like holds his gauntlet out. And it basically is like a essence vacuum. It like sucks all of the like essence orbs in and there's like pink ones that do, that give you more like experience. There's yellow ones that restore health and there's blue ones that restore magic and you have di- different elemental swords. One is wind based, one is fire based, one is electric based. And by about an hour into the game, you have all three swords. And whenever you press like the heavy attack button, they'll do an elemental attack that takes magic away from your magic meter. Um, so a lot of it is just like third person fixed camera, sort of like not quite hack and slashy because it's not like a dinosaur warriors thing, but it's very similar to like Ninja Gaiden if you're familiar with those games and. I mean, to be honest, I was on board with this game for a long time. Like, even though it obviously feels dated, I mean, it's been like up res to look better, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like Metal Gear Solid 5 or anything. It definitely still looks like an old game, but it's like serviceable. And something that I like about it that reminds me of Dino Crisis 2, and Dino Crisis 2 is a game that I hold, I know I probably maybe have never talked about Dino Crisis 2 on this show, but. Dino Crisis 2 is a game that I hold so near and dear to my heart because it got the formula for Dino Crisis so incredibly right. And Onamusha does a similar thing that Dino Crisis 2 does, where pretty much every area that you're in, because you have to like, every time you walk through a door, it kind of does the Resident Evil thing where the screen like blacks out and you're in the next area. So areas don't bleed over into each other. Every segmented area you're in um, you can kind of grind as much as you want while killing demons in those areas. I mean, eventually they'll run out, but like if you keep moving camera angles, they will kind of keep popping up for a while. And you can grind a lot and kill them, and you know engage in combat, or you can just exit. You don't like really have to fight anything, although it's encouraged for you to fight stuff because you have to upgrade some of your magic skills in order to like unlock doors and stuff. But, um, it, *Dino Crisis* two did a thing where. Every time you switched the camera angle, it was fixed camera angles. Every time a fixed camera angle switched in the game, a dinosaur would populate from the exact same area it populated from before. So you could essentially, if you wanted to keep grinding and keep getting your combo higher, you could basically just, like, keep running back and forth between two camera angles and be, like, ready for whatever dinosaur was going to come out. And it might sound really boring and really grindy, but somehow Dino Crisis 2 just made it work. It was such a magical... Um, Just product, I guess. Man, Dino Crisis 2 is a work of art, but that's beside the point. Um, Capcom, please remake that and put my name on the box somewhere. Um, I love Dino Crisis 2. (laughs) Um, If we got a Dino Crisis 2 remake with Resident Evil 5 controls, it would be the best game on the planet. I just want to put that out there. Um,
1: Can can we pause for just one second? Because I share uh, your love of Dino Crisis 2. I love, I love (laughs) Dino Crisis 2. It is fantastic. It also ended on um, a really big cliffhanger, which I thought was kind of a bummer because what happened was, I mean, has there ever been a bigger drop in the quality of games between sequels as there has between Oh my god, di- between two and three? Yes, Dino Crisis two, Ugh. amazing. Dino Crisis three was fucking trash. Oh my it was god. So Dinosaurs garbage. in space. <laughs> Dinosaurs in space, plus you had a jetpack, dude. Like has has there ever been a game that was more designed for me? And that game was awful. The controls were awful, the camera was awful. It was terrible, and I was like, the wait, you know, the years between 2 and 3, like, I was so ready for that game to be amazing, and it was trash, and it was so sad, dude. I mean, were you were you sad also? You must have been sad.
0: I, I was, and the thing that is extra shitty is that Dino Crisis 2 was on the PlayStation 1, and Dino Crisis 3 was on the PlayStation 2, so it was, like, a whole new console, a whole new upgrade, like, everything you could ever want in, like, a sequel, and it just, like, totally went off the rails and didn't, like didn't really continue the story of, like, Regina and Dylan, who are awesome, uh, and, like, Dylan's, like, daughter or whatever. It just, like, went off into this, like, dinosaurs in space thing, and the ship was supposed to have, like, rooms that moved around based on, like, switches and, like, the time, and I didn't even finish it. I think I played it for, like, an hour and stopped, but that was such yeah a disappointing sequel. Oh, my God. Seriously. Oh, my
1: God. So sad, dude. I mean, you, you, you could not have imagined the disappointment on my face. I think I played it for about an hour or two, and I'm like, I'm out. And I love the series. Like, I love *Dino Crosses one and two. A bit. Uh, anyway, okay. Way off track. Way off track. We're getting back. We're getting back to uh, basics here. But Let's talk about Onimusha. Going off on.
0: It was. It was.
1: Okay, but yes. we're, not, we're not... We got to do justice to Onomusha here. <laughs> Let's get back on that.
0: Okay, so Onomusha. So I was playing it for a while. I've probably played it for about three hours total. So I've, like, dipped, you know, my toe heavily in it. I don't know how long it is. I can't remember... The arc of the game, if it's like a five-hour game or if it's like a 30-hour game, it's one of those games where it could be either. But I've read online it's short, but I don't know what short means because short could be 10 hours to somebody and that's kind of long to me um, or medium-length game. But basically, it's kind of, although I'm enjoying it, it is one of those games, and we've talked about this before on the show, it's one of those games where if it gets too hard, I will hit the ejector C button and probably never come back to it. And I'm like approaching that limit with animation right now because although it has been updated graphically and it has like a new score and like had the controls are updated one big old staple of ps1 and ps2 games that it falls back on which is not necessarily a bad thing i just want to document this is that it has designated save rooms much like resident evil uh, all of them almost um where you have to get to a room, you have to save. There's these like magic mirror things that you use to upgrade your powers and you use to save. You save your data and those. You don't need like ink ribbons or special magic. You can save however, whenever, how often you want, as long as you can go back to the room. However, when you die at any point in the game, it boots your ass back to the title screen menu and it doesn't give you an option to continue. It doesn't give you, it doesn't checkpoint, it doesn't do any of that stuff. So, just you have to be prepared for that because that's kind of like an kind of an old school gaming thing where like you're fully responsible for saving when and where you want, um, as long as you can get back to a save room. But if you die, you have to go back and do all the stuff you did before you died. And like, because you don't need ink ribbons and because like you move around the world pretty quickly, getting back to a save room isn't a terribly difficult thing to do. But last night I kept getting to this room that has these like three or four kind of like bigger enemies in it. They kept killing me. And something that's annoying is that The block button in this game, for a lot of enemies in the game, as long as you hold the block button, you can pretty much block anything, and I I like that. I don't like holding a block button and having an enemy be able to get through it. I think that's, like, I understand that, but I also think it's kind of bullshit. But also, this is not a game where you have, like, a lot of dodging prowess. Like, at least in, like, Ninja Gaiden, you can block, but you can also, like, do side rolls and back rolls and forward rolls, and you can, like, evade pretty well. Onimusha is not as technically, um, like, tightly designed to let you dodge very well. And the room I kept getting to last night has these, like, three kind of, like, mid-level enemies. And then one kind of—it's not a boss, but he's, like, you know, kind of a bigger guy. All of them can break your block if you um, are—if you're blocking. They have, like, a—they do kind of, like, a combo attack. The first one, they don't block. And then the second one, if it hits you, it blocks you and it, like, knocks you down. So you're vulnerable for a minute— and I got back to this room like four times and I died every single time. And I'm like, re- like my, my thumb is hovering over the ejector seat button. And like, I haven't pressed <laughs> it yet. Like, I might go back and give it like one or two more tries. Because this game is all right. And I know I know when I started it, they give you an easy mode or a normal mode. I know in my heart I should have selected easy mode, but I selected normal because I thought I was going to be a cool guy. And I was like, oh, this old game. Wow, like, why did you do that, same, dude? That's crazy. Method. That's crazy talk. I know, I know better. And I still did it because I thought I was going to be like a cool guy. And here I am complaining about the game being too hard now. But like up until this point, it hasn't been that hard. And the other thing I like about it is that although the game gives you opportunity to sort of like grind for magic to use to upgrade your swords and stuff, the game never feels like it's making you grind. Like usually if I got to a door I couldn't unlock, as long as I made it back to a save room to use my magic to upgrade my like door locking powers, I would always have enough magic to do it because I, I mean, I like hoard my magic a little bit or like my essence, Um, but it's not, I have yet to get to a point where I'm like, wow, I have to go like run around the castle and grind for an hour in order to level stuff up. So like, that's a good thing because I don't like when games sort of do that to you. Um, so, like, it has a pretty good pace. Um, it has some puzzle solving that's sort of reminiscent of Resident Evil. Um, it kind of reminds me of this weird hybrid of, like, Resident Evil and Ninja Gaiden, but from, like, 10 years ago. But I'm worried that it's just going to get a little bit too hard for me because the controls are not quite as tactile as I would like them to be for the kind of action that it's presenting. Um so that's kind of where I am on it right now. Like, if I if I play it again, and I probably will try it again, and if I get back to this room and die, like, a couple more times, I probably will just send it back to Gamefly. But, like, up until this point, it's been pretty satisfying. It's been a nice sort of, like, trip down memory lane. Because, you know, you forget about the way th- games were a long time ago. And, I mean, shit, like, probably half the people playing this game today were people who, like, weren't even alive whenever the original Animucha came out. You know, they might they might have been, like, you know, seven years old and have never played it. So it's just kind of cool to go back, kind of down that rabbit hole a little bit and kind of understand what sort of like that era of retro game design was like and sort of like the PS1 to PS2 era crossover game design was like. Um, so it's kind of a cool like nostalgic thing in that regard, but the game doesn't survive on a alone. Like I actually think this is a pretty good game um it's just I'm worried it's getting a little bit too hard for me and that I might have to eject and I'm a little concerned
1: interesting interesting I played this game back in the day and I did enjoy it back in the day uh but you know times were different back then and it's interesting that this game is coming back now because this kind of dovetails with what we talked about with the Resident Evil 2 demo last time where I love Resident Evil 2 back in the day one of my favorite Capcom games back then but I don't know that the Brad of 2019 would still be up for some of that stuff. Like, you know, I talked about my misgivings about the, you know, the the chess shaped keys or, you know, the doodads and all that, <laughs> that kind of back and forth stuff. But I think that it's still an interesting um, artifact from back then, because like you said, it kind of shows what the design was like back then when people were still experimenting with how to implement 3D, what kind of gameplay styles work best in that environment, how best to take advantage of the third dimension, what kind of action worked, what kind of action didn't. And Capcom was really... Doing a lot of good work back then. They were really figuring things out and really taking risks. And once they had gotten a few successes under their belt, they really capitalized on it pretty well at the time. Uh, So interesting that Onomusha comes out because I think that's pretty much a contemporary of Resident Evil 2. I don't know that they're exactly from the same year, but they're kind of in the same basket basically. Like you would have played them, they would have been on shelves at the same time. You would have easily played both of those games or something. So uh, interesting, interesting. Um, I. I am a little bit disappointed, though. Dude, you should have played this on easy. I'm a little bit disappointed you put it on normal. You're I already know. a cool guy. You don't need to prove anything. You don't need to measure your dick with anyone. You're, you've, you've, <laughs> you've proven everything you need to prove. And if there's one lesson that I have learned myself from the last few years, it's that I don't need to play anything on hard anymore because life is just too fucking short. Um, how far did you get? Like, I mean, would it be a big deal to just stop and just restart from easy? Like, how, how many hours did you make it in?
0: I am probably about three, between three and four hours in. So I am past the point of wanting to, like I wouldn't restart this game on easy. I mean, I could probably get through what I've gotten through a lot quicker than three hours because I already know like the layout um, if I played it on easy. But I think my time is more valuable than going back to play this on easy. Or I could just like suck it up and try to do better in this one room. And then maybe I would get better. But I can't promise that I will be able to skill up and really put my pedal to the metal and make it through this one room that I'm in.
1: Well, you know, life was kind of different back then. Times were different. I think tolerance was different. Design was different. I think we're just, you know, I'm not trying to be that guy who's like, oh, we're all soft these days. We don't like hard games anymore. (laughs) Like, I'm totally not that guy. I just think that the value of that proposition is not the same as it used to be. And there's so many games out there that, like, You know, like when we were talking about a game of the year show, there was a thousand games that either one of us could have played that could have potentially been our list that we just did not have time to play. So the thought of playing something, I mean, if you're enjoying it, that's one thing, but if it's just like, oh, this is really annoying and this checkpoint is too far back and these guys break my block and this control isn't that great. Or, you know, if it's one of those things, it's like, man, there's so many other experiences to have. Like we are, we are spoiled for choice right now it is probably the best time to ever be a gamer because games are cheap and there's just too damn many of them. So I don't know, dude. I mean, if you were loving it, I would say, oh, just go back and play on an easy and you'll make up the time and half the time and get back to where you were. But if you're only sort of like so-so on it, yeah, I mean, you should probably move on and do something else. Or maybe like next year when you've put it aside and you've forgotten it and we're in our, you know, January slump after the fourth quarter madness that's going to be coming up, maybe come back to it, put it on easy and just kind of blow through it. Because I mean, honestly... That to me is really the enjoyment of these older games. Is not the challenge of it, because I mean people were just crazy back then, and I mean the further back you go, the crazier people were. Like I, we're not those people anymore. But just to see the different design perspectives, the different design choices, learning about it as a document, a historical document. That to me is really the value of these games. And so I have no shame at all putting it on the easiest possible mode, and just scanning through it and just being like, oh, interesting that they put these enemies here because the camera's here. And that means that this encounter is going to go like this. Or, oh, it's weird that they put all these hallways in because that's covering up the loading of this other thing. And, you know, like you pick apart a game like that for just like design design information and just to see where people were at, which is cool. But I, I mean, there's so many other games to play right now and so many good experiences. I can't imagine breaking myself to try to get through some of this combat from 10 or 15 years ago or whatever it was. So I don't blame you if you eject, uh, but maybe come back to it in a year if you, if you, were, if you were digging it. If
0: not, then, you know, what else? Let it go. I will better yet it would be nice if this game just let you adjust the difficulty mid game that would be preferable also this isn't a huge deal but for some reason the game does not let you skip cutscenes which is like no oh, no it's like red flag 101 cuz i was in a boss fight earlier and it took me like 6 tries to beat the boss and i thought i was going to eject then and every time i went back to the boss there was like a, it was only like a 15 or 20 second cutscene But knowing that I could not skip it was killing me. And I'm like, come on, come on, guys. Like, you re-upped the graphics for this game. You, like, wrote a new score or whatever for the game. But you didn't add, like, a skip cutscene button. Like, come on. Like, come on. Um, But I will perhaps come back to this. Um, I am renting it, so I don't want to, like, hold on to it forever. Uh, But I'll probably give it another try. I don't know if I'll bring it back to the show. But those are sort of my thoughts on... Onimusha, Warlords remake for PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Um, But I think that's all I have to say. Uh, Brad, are you ready to talk about the game that's been sucking all of your free time away for the past week?
1: Yeah, I feel bad talking about it again, but I mean, straight up, I just, I, I have limited time and I really have been grooving on this game. I talked about it before, before Christmas, before we did Game of the Year. But I am back in on XCOM 2 War of the Chosen. I know I I don't want to beat the dead horse, but man, (laughs) this is such a great game. And the further I get into it, the more I like it. And I I was talking to some people and some people ironically had picked it up um, around the same time I had. I don't know if it was just it went on sale somewhere or maybe just everybody was into tactics mood or something like that. But. You know, coming back to it, uh, people were asking, you know, oh, I didn't really like XCOM 2 that much. And I'm like, I didn't either. Like I said this before, but like I bailed on XCOM 2 <laughs> after about 10 hours. And I'm a huge XCOM fan. I love tactics. I love turn-based tactics. I love exactly this style of game. This is one of my favorite genres. And I did not think XCOM 2 was good at all. But XCOM 2 War of the Chosen is just so much better. So, so much better. Um, I think I'm probably. Oh God, I don't even want to guess. There's no in-game clock that I can see, or maybe there is, I just don't know where it is. But I mean, I'm probably like probably like 50 hours into it. Oh my God. And it's still fun, dude. I'm still like having a blast. Like any other game, I would be like clawing the walls to like just end it and get out. <laughs> but this is so good. It is like every everything that happens is so fresh and interesting and new. I mean, for example, there's so many options, which it felt a little bit overwhelming at first. But by the time I got a hold of those options and figured them out, it was like, yes, I love... Being able to customize like every single part of my team, change the way they look, change their background, change their hair, change their outfit, change their guns, change parts of like everything about it. So you can really have a lot of um, power in how you want your team to play. You eventually unlock um, choices that let you respect your guys. Like at first, they kind of lock you into it to kind of teach you. And to spank you a little bit if you make some bad choices to kind of make you deal with, um, you know, the result of bad choices. Uh, but after a while, they let you undo that, so you can change your characters around. So I love being able to go back and respec guys and customize guys. New classes unlock as you go. I just unlocked a lot of like, you you you, you capture aliens and you you do autopsies on them to learn stuff, and then you capture their technology and you. Um, you know, reverse engineer it, and so you're able to construct new tech. And so as the game goes on, you capture more and more stuff. You're able to research more and more. And I mean, by this time, I've got my dudes like decked out in like high-powered, like basically like these impregnable mecha suits. And they've got like heavy like mounted weapons, and they can like you know cast shields and all this crazy shit going on. And it's like, man, it's so it's awesome. There's so many options, and I can do so many things you can have like a sniper team or you can have like a melee team. And, you know, like I have this one chick, she's one, probably one of my favorite. Well, I'll tell you about two of my favorite characters. And this is what I love is because these characters are so changeable and you can get so attached to them that you like, even though there's not really much of a story in XCOM, like you, you in your own head, you like develop these stories over time. And I think anybody that's played XCOM probably knows this, but, you know, I had this one medic who she it was just randomly generated and I put her on my team because, you know, whatever, gotta have a medic on your team. And just over time having her On my team all the time. I just have really gotten to really like her voice actor. She's the only person in the entire game of XCOM who sounds fucking bored and sick of being there. She sounds like she's so over it, you know. You click on a square and you're like, "Go over here," and she's like, "Yeah, I guess so." And then she goes over there, and she knows she's like, you know, she'll shoot a guy. She's like, "Well, I guess that's one," you know. She's just like. She sounds so tight and I'm like living for it. I love how disaffected and bored she is. It's so great because she stands out so much from the other team. And she goes from being this random medic, right? She survives all these battles. I keep upping her gear. She gets like better and better gear. Her powers get better and better. She's eventually like the backbone of all my teams because she's able to keep everybody alive no matter how much damage they take. She's able to cure them. She's got a badass gun. And she's just like, she looks awesome because her armor has gotten upgraded and she's gone from like this rando bad attitude medic to like, like literally the core of all my teams. And I'm like, oh my God, I love you so much. This is the best. You're the best character. I love you. And this other lady, she's like this, uh, uh, in, in XCOM 2, you can have characters from different countries. And so you, when you get a country, uh, a person from a different country, that's not America, you can check an option to say, you know, keep your, keep your language of origin So I check that off. And so I have German people speaking German. I have Japanese people speaking Japanese. And it kind of gives like, yeah, it's a really cool flavor, right? And so I have this one um, lady. She she speaks English. She's from Africa, I believe. But she's got like this afro. And she's got like a nose ring. And she's like living for her blackness. You know, she's like a strong black woman. And she is the ranger class. And in the ranger class, they have swords. And it seems like weird. Why would you want a sword in this kind of game? But actually, it's super useful because... They have longer mobility so they can sneak in and get further than other people can go. They can get up close and personal for these swords. And as you unlock their abilities, what ends up happening is not only can you get far and attack people, but you can get a free attack for anybody that approaches you or that leaves you. So what happens is you go up to a guy, you slice him for like a ton. He wants to run away. And as he runs away, you slice him again in the back for free and you cut him down (laughs) when he's running away from you. It's like, you're not going anywhere, fucker. You're dead when this lady shows up. You're, you're gone. And if she successfully kills somebody, 100% immune from all attacks. Like, it's this untouchable thing that pops up. Untouchable. And, like, she just dodges all the bullets and, like, nobody can fucking touch her. And I'm like, yes, this is bad as hell, dude. I love this fucking character. It's so cool to, like, have spent so much time with these people and to see them grow from, like, random generic rookies to, like, these super-powered warriors over the course of, like, 40, 50 hours. I've grown, like, super attached to my team and, like, seeing all the different personalities it's just like amazing, like and you invent these little stories in your head, which is kind of nerdy, but at the same time, adds a lot of really cool value that so many games just fail to do. Like, I mean, I, I can't say that I've had that much investment in characters with many games recently. So to be able to do it here is just so satisfying. Um, the other thing that XCOM Two: War of the Chosen really gets right is the bad guys. Like you know, you cannot have good guys without bad guys. That's a really proven true rule of any media, like any, you know, movies or books or TV shows or anything. If you don't have a strong bad guy, there's nothing for the good guys to like to fight against. There's no struggle there. Right. And so with War of the Chosen, one of the things that they added were these three specific superpowered alien. They're called the Chosen and the aliens who are taking over Earth pick these guys to be their avatars or to pick them to be their champions. Right. And so each one has a specialty. One guy is like a magic user. One uh, lady is a sword user and one guy is like a, a sniper. And they cannot be killed immediately. You can kill them eventually. I've killed, I think, two out of the three. And those are like kind of the high point of the game. But uh, as they, they show up all the time, like you never know where they're going to show up. They, you go into a mission. You hope it's going to go well. You're worried about getting in, getting out, getting your objective met. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the mission, one of the chosen guys just beams in from the Enterprise. And he's like, ha ah, ha, I'm about to wreck your shit. <laughs> and so you're like, oh, God, you know, these guys show up. And they show up all the fucking time, and and at first you can't kill them because they're really tough, uh, just really hard to get uh, over those guys. But once you kill them, you feel good. But then they come back, and you're like, God damn it, they're back again. Fuck, get rid of these guys. And they just show up all the time. They wreck your shit so much, and they bother you so much, and they taunt you so much. By the time that your team is strong enough to actually kill them, you fucking hate these guys. Like, you really want to get them, like really badly. So there's a lot of bad blood between you. But that's good because you feel. Something like you feel super invested in killing these guys. You really want to fucking do whatever it takes to get these guys because they've been fucking with you for so long, wrecking all your plans, taking out your best soldiers. Like, you know, <laughs> something that should have been a super easy mission. You lost two guys because these guys showed up and fucked you over at the last minute. And it's like, fuck you. I want to you know, pay you guys back 10 times over for what you've done to me. And when they, when you finally get one down, it's like, Oh my God, the best. So satisfying. Like you feel just like, yes, I totally did something that was worthwhile. I felt good about what I did. It was like this giant challenge, and I overcome it. And it's just, it's so great. So they're really smart about establishing the bad guys. They, these are terrible bad guys, but they're wonderful bad guys because you hate them. And like, without without good bad guys, the bad guy, I mean, the good guys are not good. You need good bad guys, and that makes good good guys. And then the whole game overall <laughs> is better. So it's great. I mean, I, I, those are the really the high points for me. I love that so much. But there's also so much like mission variety in War of the Chosen. There's so much new little, um, little options, little things to tweak. If you really like to get into menus and just, you know, fiddle with your team and, and spec things out the way you like them and really just dig into the details and make things your own. Like it's a really, really wonderful experience. I mean, so much better than Vanilla XCOM 2. I mean, this is really the game it should have been from the start. And I, I just, I can't recommend it enough. If you, if you bounced off Vanilla XCOM 2, please do yourself a favor and check out War of the Chosen. It is absolutely 100% better in every way than the core campaign. It is absolutely worth your time. If you like tactics, if you like turn-based tactics, if you like this kind of XCOM style action, it is just, it is the shit. It is so good. I just, I know it's, it's rare for me to put so much time into a game like 50, 60 hours and not be tired of it. But this is one of those games I'm literally not tired of at all. Every mission I'm like, yes, bring it on. I want more of this. I want to do more. I want to keep going. Give me all, give me all the XCOM 2. It's really, really good. So if you bounced off it, come back to it. If you haven't bought the DLC, play the DLC. If you're thinking about playing XCOM 2, do not play the vanilla version. Forget vanilla version even exists. Just go straight into War of the Chosen. That is where this action is at. And it is just fucking good. I love it. I can go on and on about it forever. I'm sorry to bring it back up again. But I'm very close to finishing it. I feel like I'm, I'm very close to the end. So hopefully I'll get it knocked out in the next couple days and I will have something else to talk about next week. But damn it. I love this fucking game and it's so good. And I want more people to play it because I feel like vanilla XCOM 2 was so sucky that a lot of people just kind of wrote it off entirely, which is a real shame because uh, War of the Chosen really turns it around. I I love this content. It is so fucking good.
0: You have been fully indoctrinated into the XCOM 2 universe. Look at yourself. I know. It's disgusting. I hate myself right now. I'm embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh, I know this is not your game at all. I don't think you would like this. I don't recommend it for you. But Corey, it is so good. I'm so glad I came back to it. I'm so glad that I gave it a second chance. And I just, I hope other people can share in that joy.
0: I am glad that you're enjoying it. I also, I don't want to like depress you at all because I know this is something you've thought about. But like in XCOM 2, this is the kind of game where if one of your characters dies, they're like dead, right? So is that a thing? It is a thing if you want it to be. I uh, do not want okay. it to be.
1: I don't have time for that. And I so like this, (laughs) I
0: don't have time for that. (laughs) I I do not have
1: time for people dying. I don't have time for that. XCOM is definitely the, the game where the quote unquote Iron Man mode started, which is where no restarts, no saving. If somebody dies or dead permanently and just deal with it and move on. And I mean, that's bullshit. It's bullshit because we don't, we're not infinite beings. I'm not a vampire that lives forever. And also like, there's just stuff that happens. Like, Games are not perfect. The rules are not implemented. You know, weird stuff happens. Randomness happens. You know, like it's, it's, it sucks to like spend 20 hours on a character and then just some weird glitch happens or, you know, you push the wrong button and then they died and then that character's gone and that's 20 hours down the drain. No way, dude. No way. I save my game every 42 seconds. If anything bad happens to my characters, I go back and I reload a save and I don't fucking care and I am not ashamed and I am not embarrassed. It is not save scumming. It is just saving. And we invented it for a fucking reason. So like save your games, people. Do not let your good characters die. Just play this game. Push forward. Do not do not be suckered in by this Iron Man bullshit. Like it's dumb. <laughs> it's fake. It's just a stupid badge of honor that I think nobody really enjoys. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do Iron Man. Just save your game like a normal person, like a normal human being, a reasonable human being. And if you die, one of your favorite characters die, just fucking reload that save and bring them right back because, because who cares, man? Just enjoy that game.
0: Okay, I was, I just wanted to say that because I was concerned, you know, it's like when you watch a movie, and there's the dog, and you know that the dog is going to die at some point in the movie, whenever you're talking about these two, like, female characters that you have been, you've been in the trenches with for so long that you love, that you cherish, that are, like, your best warriors, the whole time we were talking about them in the back of my mind, I was thinking they can die in this game, right? Like they're, they're, one of them is going to die and Brad is going to come back to the show and he's going to like cry in his next XCOM 2 segment and talk about how his fav- one of his favorite characters has died. But I'm glad that you're able to clear that up and know that they will be with you forever and that they will not die and you can carry these warriors in the trench with you forever.
1: No, no, no. These ladies are not going anywhere. These are my ladies. I love these these ladies. They are not going. No, no, no. They're with me forever. We're going to finish the game with these girls and it's going to be fucking fantastic. I don't do that Iron Man shit anymore. The last time I did a game with that was Darkest Dungeon and I lost one of my characters but I had a chance to bring him back but then the game glitched and my heart was broken. Oh so my God. So I'm never doing a game with that again. I'm not doing this, the Iron Man thing. That's not a thing for me. It doesn't exist in my world. I am saving and I'm not losing my favorite characters again because life is too short. So no, my my ladies are awesome. I love them so much. They are the best and we are going to be rolling credits together. Thank you very
0: much. <laughs> All right. Do you have All anything right. else to say about No, X-Count? man. No. Enough of that.
1: I've gone on and on. I apologize to everybody. I promise that's probably the last time I'll talk about it. But, Tori, you are now going to be talking about something that was on a lot of critics' lips at the very, very tail end of Q4. This game came out of, like, nowhere, surprised a lot of people, ended up making, like, this 11th hour bid to be on Game of the Year list. And more than a few critics did pick it as one of their top ten of the year, despite it coming out on, like, December 31st at, like, 11.45 p.m. <laughs> whatever it was so return of the Oberdin is currently like an indie darling I know a little bit about it I think I want to know more about it you've played it tell us about return of the Oberdin
0: um I would love to talk about return of the Oberdin and I feel extra bad because I'm pretty sure on I talked about this I I think for like the last two shows I've been like okay I want I'm gonna talk about Overdin on the next show, and then the next time I was like, okay, I'm gonna talk about it on the next show. But for real, I'm gonna talk about it on this show. So, I started playing it um, probably about a m- god. It's probably been like a month at this point. Um, and let me tell you my experiences with Oberdin. So, this is a game by Lucas Pope, who is I guess like somewhat of a genius in the video game industry. And I actually read um, the other day this big like Ars Technica, um, like profile interview thing with him, um, which was pretty fascinating because I don't really know a whole lot about him and I don't really follow his work. He released Papers, Please, which was a huge hit a few years ago. And that was sort of like his like solo indie, um, I don't know, I guess like his like moment where people are like, okay, we're going to take this guy really seriously. But before that he had actually worked on Uncharted and Uncharted 2. Um, so he like is an industry vet. Apparently he revamped like a bunch of systems and uncharted and uncharted two, because he's kind of like a tool maker in the industry, which sounds ridiculous when I say that, um, cause tool is usually not a word you want to use to describe someone. Um, but I guess he's like really, really good at like behind the scenes, sort of like, uh, like task and tool making for video games. It like makes the whole process a little bit smoother. So apparently he did a lot of that for uncharted one and uncharted two. And he sounds like an exceptionally brilliant person. Um, and just, like, a really interesting guy. And he, like, lives in Japan, I think, right now. Um, so he's, like, living in Japan, and he's, like, married to a Japanese woman or something like that. It's kind of irrelevant, but this is a little bit of background. Um, but he put out Return of the Obra Den um, in mid-October of 2018, so just a few months ago. And it's a P- right now it's PC exclusive. I don't know if there's going to be console versions or whatever. Um, this game is primed for console release, though, because when I'm playing it, there's nothing... I see about it being on PC that couldn't allow it to be on consoles, Um, so there's that. But it's basically a first-person game that takes place in the early 1800s. I think it's 1807, to be be precise. And it is, you play as sort of like an old-school, like, insurance claims adjuster, which sounds lame, but this is going somewhere. And you're tasked with um, going to this old sort of pirate ship called the Obra Dinn in 1807, and basically everybody that was aboard this pirate ship I think there's like 30 or 50 people or something, or maybe like 100 I can't remember. There's a lot of people. Um, they all died, so you know, this is not exactly the best of news. So, you get there on your little ship, you climb up onto the boat, and um, the game looks like the graphics look like old school, like Game Boy graphics, because everything is kind of green and black and kind of pixelated, but it looks really cool. I think that's, that plays in its favor. So this isn't like a hyper realistic game. It has like a very distinct graphical style. And you get there, you have this magic pocket watch and you go to, I mean, you kind of like walk up into the ship and you find, I think you find like a dead body or like a pile of bones essentially because it's been so long since the ship has been out to sea and has been, I guess, gone to be retrieved. Whenever you get close to a dead body or a pile of bones or whatever, your like watch activates. And if you click the button on the watch in order to set it off, it takes you, the screen blacks out and there's like about 10 seconds of dialogue. There's no video. It's just 10 seconds of dialogue that kind of lead up to a point And then whenever the game's graphics come back and the game like flashes back in, it comes back to the moment that that character died, the character whose bones you clicked on with the watch. So you're sort of working in reverse order, kind of in reverse order, of going through every dead person on the ship and seeing, listening to a little snippet of how they died Seeing the moment that they died. And whenever you see the moment they died on the screen, you can walk around them and there's usually other people present. I mean, sometimes it's another person on the ship that's killing that person. Sometimes it's a barrel that has come loose on the underside of the ship that lands on somebody. There's like a bunch of different ways that people can die. And the objective of the game is to identify every single person on the ship, how they died, and either who or what killed them. So it is essentially one giant puzzle game, and the big puzzle is how, who was everybody and how did they die? And you have a book that you're working from, and you can click, press the tab button, and it takes you to the book, and it uh, shows you every chapter of sort of like the journey that the ship made, and there's a poster at the front of the book that has basically like a few pictures of everybody that's on the ship, sort of at a, like a party kind of thing. Like some people are dancing, some people are playing cards, um, a lot of people are just standing around. And as you see people over the course of the ship in different um vignettes, because they pop up, some people pop up over and over and over again, you sort of like um it's kind of like a process of elimination thing where you start to understand who people are and you have to identify them in groups of three. So once you have, like, three people that you think you've identified correctly with who they are, how they died, and who or what killed them, then the game will either say, yes, you got it right, or no, you didn't get it right, and then you kind of have to go back to the drawing board. Um, I realize that was a lot of word vomit. Brad, do you have any questions before I go forward?
1: I mean, I have a lot of questions. I'm trying to figure this out in my head. I mean, I think I understand it. But, like, so I guess, okay, so... I've seen the graphics. They do look kind of like Game Boy Retro weird graphics and it's got a a pretty interesting look to it. So I like it. That's cool. So you're basically like your first person walking around, right? Like on the ship? Yes. And then your your watch goes off when you're near a, a trigger point or something. You listen to dialogue and then is there like a little menu or are you supposed to just keep it straight in your head or should you write this down? Or like does the game keep track of it for you about your clues and stuff?
0: Or how does that part of it work? Okay, so the short answer to that is kind of all of the above. So the thing that I did not like about this game at first is that the game has tutorials, but you kind of have to look for them. Like I played this game for about an hour and realized I was getting nowhere. And I was just going through all of these death scenes and just like trying to keep things straight in my head. And then I found a tutorial in the book that sort of like shows you how you can document stuff in the book. And I thought, okay, I'm so far down this rabbit hole and I just now discovered like how to play this game. So what I did was I just started the game over on a different save slot. And then once I knew what I was supposed to know, because the the book in the game allows you to sort of keep everything straight. Like whenever you're looking at everybody in the death scene, if you zoom in on somebody and then press the book button, it'll take you to the poster And it'll highlight the cursor over that person. But that's pretty much all it does. It won't tell you their name. It won't really tell you anything. It just kind of shows you hey, this person is this. This person that you're looking at right now is this person on the poster. And so sometimes, like, I guess there's a big part of the game, and I haven't really discovered this yet about like looking at what people are wearing or maybe what hat someone is wearing the clothes they're wearing, um, who they tend to show up in scenes with. And then you can kind of like reverse engineer it into discovering who they are. And as you go to each person's page, you can put... There's a lot of times in the game where I will see... I mean, you very clearly see how most of the people die. Like if I'm in, you know, the underside of the... I don't even know what to call it, the boat, and I'm at a death scene... And a cannon falls on somebody. Um, Okay, I know how they died. So I'll zoom in on the person who's died. I'll press the tab button. It takes me to the poster of the people. And if I click on the person, you have the option of trying to identify them and then say how they died and what died or who killed them. So there's like three blanks. It's the person's name. It's how they died. And then, and that's a list. So that whenever you click on how they died, there's a finite list of ways people can die. But it's like, There's, like, 30 or so things, so it's not just, like, three things. Like, you have quite a big list. And on some of them, um, you have to – like, the option – I think there's one that's called, like, Crushed or something. So, like, if the cannon fell on the guy, I would select Crushed. And then on that one, it opens up another menu, and you have – you can say, like, Crushed by Cargo, Crushed by a Cannon – crushed by like a monster or something. Um, and so I would select Canon because I saw that he got crushed by the canon. However, although I know all that stuff about him, I still don't know who he is. So you were you able to keep track of most of the stuff that you find in the book, in the game, but it might be worth writing some of the stuff down in real life. Although I kind of wish that the game came with like a printout copy of like the map that I could like have on my desk or something. Cause this is kind of one of those games that if you're going to play it, you like kind of like really have to get in the weeds with it. It's not like, a, I mean, you'd probably have to be some kind of like mathematical genius or something to just like play through it all in one go and just like be able to deduce who everybody is. And I'm not that smart. And so I was really on board with it for a while because like, I'm usually not into puzzle games, but if like, so every once in a while, I'll go like all in on it, and I'm thinking right now of like um, the Paynes Creek killings, which I loved last year, because um, that's kind of the same thing, where it's like there's one big mystery looming over the entire town that you're trying to, um, trying to like discover. And so, like, if I know that that's sort of like the bread and butter of the game, I can really get down with it if it's interesting enough. And I thought that for a long time with Oberdin as well. But what I'm having problems with with Oberdin is that it's getting it's just a little bit too much for me like there's one scene that kind of like transports you away from the boat and into these like life rafts on a different scene that takes place with like they're like kind of coming back up to the boat and there's like four or five little like mini chapters where they're on the life rafts and like the people start getting killed by these like sea monster things like there's kind of like a cthulhu thing going on here too, which I didn't know whenever I went into the game. Um, And so there's like a little bit of like that at work. Um, It's not just all people on the ship killing each other. Sometimes there are other forces afoot um, that are killing them. And like, I want to like this game more, but I'm just having a hard time identifying people. And I think that the game is asking a little bit more than I'm willing to give it. Um, and it's also a little bit boring and it's also one of those games where I took a break from it for like two weeks cause I was busy doing other stuff. And then I came back to it like three or four nights ago to try to play it again. And I turn it on and it's one of those games where like, if you take a break, you're like kind of fucked. Like you kind of like have to stay in it or else you're going to forget everything that's going on. You're going to forget all the chapters that have come before. And like I might've said earlier, you're kind of playing it in reverse. So like the first scene you watch is like the last person who died on the ship and you kind of go backwards from there. So it's not even in chronological order with me, which makes it like another step kind of confusing. So like it's one of those games where I understand why a lot of people like it because it it very much scratches that really intense like sort of explorational like mystery part of the brain. And it's also one of those games where like it's kind of difficult to figure things out. So I'm sure whenever people finally figure certain things out, they have like a greater sense of pride and connection with the game because they've been like, you know, through a hardship together. It's kind of like a dark souls thing where it's like, it's hard. So like, once you come out on the other side of it, you feel more attached to it because you were able to go through that difficult thing with the game. If that makes sense. Um, but it's, it's just a little bit too difficult for me. And it's also the kind of game where like, I could probably go to a walkthrough online and just like look at a thing, like look up chapters and just identify people. Um, cause I don't think it's randomized. I think it's all set. Um, but I don't want to do that because it's not a small puzzle in an action game. Like the whole game is the puzzle and I don't want to spoil that for myself, but I also don't feel motivated enough to like really, really keep my head down and really try to keep all these people straight and try to identify how, who killed whom and how everybody died. And it's just like, it's a little bit too much for me. And on a final, note, but final note, I mean, before I uh, turn the mic back over to you, um, as longtime listeners will know, this game occasionally has one of my greatest fears in it. And that oh, is spider crabs, spider crabs. Spider, has crabs, spider crabs. They're not moving and they're not attacking you. Cause this game is not like a real time action game, but there are spider crabs that come up in this game and you have to watch freeze frames of people's death scenarios that involve spider crabs. Oh my and God. And it is, a little, it's a little, I mean, it's not like scaring me cause you're not like running away from them. It's not a horror game, but just like knowing that they're there is so terrifying for me. And, Spider crabs are just, oh my God, there's nothing scarier in the world than spider crabs. And they're in this game and it causes me a decent amount of anxiety whenever they come up in the game. And listening to them kill people in like the dialogue segments before the death scenes is gruesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I get why people like this game. This is like a long story short summary. I get why people like this game. I like want to like this game more than I do, but I think it's just a little too, it's a little too much for me. If there were like half the amount of people on the ship and half maybe the size of the ship, and half the chapters in the game, I feel like I'd be able to get on board with it, no pun intended, but it's like, it's just a little bit too much and too deep for me, and I wish it were scaled back just a, a little bit for my own sanity, um, but I but I get it. I get why people like it.
1: Interesting, interesting. Um, hmm. It sounds cool, and it sounds really interesting, but uh, you know, I'm not traditionally a really strong puzzle guy. Although if a game strikes me the right way, then I'll be on board for that. But, um, hmm. I mean, did you play? Okay. So I guess, did you play Papers, Please at any point ever?
0: I played it on my iPad for about a half an hour. And that's not to say the game isn't bad. I just wasn't really that interested in it. So I I bought it, I played it a little bit, and then I just kind of stopped.
1: Okay. So, I mean, is it hitting some of those same notes for you, are you seeing similarities there or does it feel like a totally different thing?
0: Um, it feels different to me. I also don't think I got deep enough into Papers, Please to maybe see any similarities. Um, cause Papers, Please, you're basically like reading people's like passport applications and then accepting or denying their applications based on like what is in them. And, I mean, there's kind of a puzzle element there. I feel like I'd be better at that game now because all I do for my day job now is read reports. Um, so maybe I should revisit Papers, Please. Um, I don't know how much of like a deeper narrative is going on in Papers, and Papers Please, or if it's just like a case-by-case thing. Um, but I'm not, I mean, there's kind of a brain itching puzzle piece in that, but I don't know if it's the same as in Oberden. Gotcha. I mean, I played some
1: of Papers, Please. I had problems with uh, the way it was presented on Vita, which is where I played it. Um, I know that part of that game is is you're supposed to be kind of struggling with the interface, but I think it was more than that on the Vita. I think maybe the um, port wasn't exactly optimized the best for that particular uh, platform. So I didn't play it very much, but I did like it. and I I keep hoping it's going to come to Switch because it was kind of a puzzly, a little bit of a challenge sort of thing. Not exactly super friendly, but I kind of respected what it was doing, and that kind of sounds like echoes of what you're describing with Oberdin, where it's maybe not the most friendly thing, but you realize that what's happening is maybe on purpose. And, you know, they're kind of seeing if you're going to step up to the challenge. And like you said, like people who kind of go along with that, they suffer through it and then they feel good at the end because they got through it all. And that could be a really rewarding feeling if you click with the game. I mean, it sounds interesting and a lot of critics are really liking it. I I hope it does come to Switch or something uh, because I definitely would, I would pop for it and give it a shot like immediately if it came to a platform that I was on. I'm not going to play it on PC, but, uh, Interesting. Interesting. Um, uh, That said, I am not uh super brainiac when it comes to puzzles. That's just not how my brain works sometimes. And so I have a feeling I might end up like dipping into YouTube more often than not. And that isn't really <laughs> a fun experience for me. Like I, I do feel like my experience is lessened when I have to go to YouTube for something. And I just accept that I am just not the best gamer at certain things. So uh, interesting. Interesting. Uh, so do you feel like you're I forget. You, so you didn't finish it. I mean, you feel like you're kind of done with where you're
0: at or what do you think? I feel like I'm, I might give it like one more shot, but I don't, I don't know if it's going to be enough to get me to finish it. Like I might just have to wash my hands of this game and understand that maybe it's like a few notches above my intellectual level and that I'm just like not patient or smart enough to really get as in the weeds with it as it wants me to and just come to peace with that and maybe move on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, honestly, I think that's okay. Sometimes I think it's okay just to get the experience to dip in. Maybe it's not a good fit, but at least you can say you tried it. At least you learned something. At least you were exposed to something that you might not have otherwise been. I don't think there's any shame in saying this is not for me. And, you know, it doesn't mean that either one of you has to be broken or wrong or bad. It's just sometimes just not a good fit. So, I mean, you know, you took a a good whiff of the game and didn't like how it smelled and you moved on. So, (laughs) People listening right now are really confused, but if you listen to the banter, that will all make sense.
0: <laughs> uh, the game's pheromones are just not strong yeah, enough to keep me in just it. Just not, not the right thing. So, <laughs> All right,
1: man. Any final thoughts? I mean, thank you for bringing that. I don't, I don't think I have any questions, but any last bits you want to leave us with or shall we uh, move into the final section before we wrap?
0: I think we can move on.
1: All right, cool. Um, I just wanted to, number one, apologize to Arhe 777 who sent me a message a while ago. He wanted us to discuss uh, the topic of Screen Time and Kids. Uh, He sent me an article, which I think it was from the BBC. And if memory serves, it was an article about a book called The New Childhood, written by Jordan Shapiro. Uh, And, you know, like, kids, raising kids in general is really tough and challenging. And raising kids in the internet age is even doubly so. I mean, there's so many problems that parents have these days that just were never an issue in the past. I mean, we were never able to whip out the world's most advanced intelligence in our pockets and look up any information in the history of the world in the past. I mean, we didn't even have cell phones in the past. I grew up for many years, didn't even have a computer. So like, there's all these new challenges, all these new approaches to things that we just don't quite know how to integrate those into our parenting styles. I mean, you know, I mean, dude, when I, when I was a young man and I needed to like, look at some porn, it was like, Number one, I mean, I lived out of the middle of nowhere and there was nothing around for miles. And so it was like, I mean, hopefully you had a good dream that night. Otherwise, you're stuck. Either that or you're trying to like catch something on Cinemax at 11 o'clock if your mom and dad went to bed that night. Uh, But that was about it. And it was like once I was old enough to get a car, I, you know, I would drive to the seedy part of town and, you know, take my life (laughs) in my hands as I was trying to buy some dirty magazine somewhere. But like, you know, these days, dude, you know, you can do that from the bathroom or in the kitchen, you pull out your phone and you can have like access to like absolutely anything in the history of the world. And you can, you know, kids with phones have questions and how do you regulate that? And how do you teach about what's right or wrong? And on top of that, I mean, even putting those concerns aside, like how do video games factor into your life? How much TV, how much YouTube, how much general internet? So people have been really scared for a long time. I meet a lot of people who were like, oh, we're super restrictive on screen time. She gets like Four minutes of Sesame Street once a month, and that's it. It's <laughs> rot your brain, and I'm like, okay, you're you're maybe on the, <laughs> you're maybe taking that a little too harshly, um, but I meet a lot of people who view technology as the enemy, or they are scared of it, or they're afraid of it. But I think that really relates back to lack of involved parenting, uh, because we are not an anti-screen time family. We are very much a screen time family. Um, so our hey. To answer your question, um, we do not have strict limits per se on screen time. We're not afraid of screens. I mean, we've got multiple TVs, multiple game systems, computers in the house, phones. I mean, we have access to all that stuff because we are fortunate and privileged enough to be able to afford it. Uh, and I realize that is not something that everyone has. But in my particular case, uh, if you are a parent, you need to get in on that stuff with your kids. And that's that's what the the article says, basically. Um, there's a couple other articles I read that were kind of basically taking the same approach but the bottom line is like you have to know what you're doing like you don't use screens as babysitters that's when the problem starts you use screens as something that you do with your children so for example um in the banter later on i talk about watching gravity falls with my son where that's not a show i probably would have chosen for myself but he was excited so i decided to take time out of my day to sit down with him and watch it and not only was it something that i personally ended up really enjoying but it was something that we did together so we now have this shared knowledge And a part of being a good parent is knowing what your kids are into, knowing what they're reading, knowing what they're exposed to, so that when they have these issues come up, you already know what they're referencing, you know what they've seen, you know what they've been through, and so you can relate to them better. So if you're a parent and you're using screens as babysitters, like, oh, I need five minutes and I can't send my kid anymore and I need just to go smoke a cigarette or something. Here's the iPad, leave me alone for half an hour. Okay, you're using that screen inappropriately. That is not how screens are meant to be made or meant to be used. You need to sit down with your kids. What game are you playing? Okay, let me play this with you. Or maybe I don't want to play it with you, but I'll sit down next to you and I'll watch you play it and then we can talk about it. You know, what issues come up? What, what was challenging for you? What was easy for you? What did you learn? What is this? Uh, how does this relate to anything in real life? I mean, if you play games, there's tons and tons of things that relate to real life that you can uh, use as lessons. Or at least you can monitor these things. You know, like, what do you find interesting about this game? And then you can use that to parlay that into something in the real world. Like, oh, you like doing puzzle solving in a game XYZ. Uh, here's something that relates to that. Here's the kind of puzzle that this was. This is actually a science or this is like about a book or something. Um, so I think that I think that parents these days have the challenge of, of stepping up, being more involved, being actively engaged in what their children do. And you have to realize that to be an effective parent, to be a good parent, and to be a best parent to your child, you have to get in there and do that with them. You have to play the games with them. You have to watch the shows with them. You have to monitor the YouTube stuff, especially with YouTube, because I meet so many parents who like don't want their kids watching TV, but they will let them watch YouTube. And I find it to be so strange and so bizarre because there's only a certain amount of things you're going to get on regular cable TV or even on, you know, like some of the download services. But on YouTube, you could be exposed to anything. There's so much alt-right shit going on, so much like, you know, like really racist stuff or really like hatred in disguise that you just don't monitor. And parents think, oh, it's YouTube, it's games, whatever, who cares? There's There's just some kind of weird thing where parents just kind of don't care, and I I I don't understand that at all. But especially in stuff like that, you have to be watching that stuff with your kids. You have to see what they're exposed to, and if it's not something that aligns with your values, you have to stop it. I mean, I hear all these horror stories about parents who are like, "Oh, my kid played Fortnite for 14 weeks, and I can't stop it. And if I try to take him off, then he gets angry, and he pulled out a gun, and it's all you know. Okay, so number one, don't have guns in your home. Number two, (laughs) like you should have intervened years ago. Your kid probably needs attention. He probably needs connection. He's probably getting that connection from people he meets online that he's not getting from home. Or maybe he just needs more time with you. And if you don't ever play Fortnite with him, then you're not going to be sharing this thing that he finds valuable. I mean, wouldn't you rather build those memories yourself and be, you know, be a part of that with your kid rather than having that just be a separate part of life that you're scared of and is locked away forever? I mean, it's only going to be a deep division in you guys as you get older. So um, anyway, I've been blathering forever. Um, but basically, screens are something that parents have to be involved in. Screens are not going away. Technology is not going away. It's only going to get worse and more intense and more more, more access to things and a wider array of things. And it's, the choices are going to just multiply and multiply. So as a parent, you have to get in and monitor what your kid's doing. You have to do it with them. You have to play it with them. You have to watch it with them. And you have to be a part of that. You have to help shape how that goes. And if you do it together, it can be a wonderful experience. You guys can have many good times together and have a uh, you know, shared touchstones. You can even share memes. Don't know what a meme is, your kid does. Well, you know, do it with them and then you'll know. And then you'll be the cool parent and you can, you know, connect on those levels. But uh, you have to be part of it. You cannot fight against it. I don't think limiting screen time is the answer. That's just really um, a stopgap way of ignoring what the problem is. The real problem is a lack of engagement from parents. So get in there with your kids. Get in on the screens with your kids. Of course, I'm not saying don't do it without limit, put it down for dinner. Put it down for bedtime, you know. Be be reasonable, but don't don't treat screens like the enemy. Don't be scared of them. It's not uh, it's not something to be frightened of. But it also, they're not babysitters. So get in their parents. Do your due diligence. Be a good mom and dad or whatever, and participate. There you go. Corey, any thoughts?
0: Uh, first thought is that this, among several other thousand reasons, is why I never ever want kids in my life. And second of all, um. I think, I mean, I know you said this a little bit, but I think you're incredibly fortunate to be in the position where you, like, homeschool your kids. So, like, a lot of parents, you know, they send their kids off to school for eight hours a day every day, you know, or, like, five days a week. Or they're working parents, and their kids are, like, maybe home alone or home with a babysitter or home with, like, an older brother or sister or something And I think it's great that you have sort of like the time because you're around your family like all the time um, that you have the time to sort of like monitor that and be really active. But I also think it's a lot more difficult for other parents who aren't around their kids, you know, who are missing their kids for several hours a day because of school or because of work or because of whatever. Um, But I mean, as long as they're, I guess, actively, I don't know, just being like honest, I guess, being honest about like you know, what are you doing? What are you watching on the internet? Like, you know, this and that. And and I mean, then that's, you know, definitely for the better as long as you're able to maintain, like, an open and honest relationship about, like, what you're doing. Um, and, like, the the other thing that came to mind, the probably the last thing that came to mind is the idea of, like... I mean, like, if you have kids and you're worried about what they're... You know, and if you're trying to, like, restrict them from what they're seeing online or restrict them from screen time or restrict them from you know watching like maybe youtube videos from i don't know maybe like a problematic creator or something like that um like they're if like the kids are gonna find a way to do it you know what i mean like if they're away from you for at school and they have a phone or their friend has a phone or they go to their friend's house who has like unlimited internet access to their computer um you know they're gonna find a way to find that stuff you know what i mean like they're gonna find a way to like Watch a YouTube video that's maybe more mature than they want to, or they're going to find a way possibly to, like, play that rated M video game that they're not allowed to play at home or something like that. So I don't know. It's just, like, kind of this idea about censorship and sort of, like, pretending that this kind of stuff doesn't exist out in the world is not a solution. Um, And I understand why, you know, parents don't feel equipped to, like, explain everything that's happening in the world to their kids if they see it online because I certainly wouldn't feel equipped to do that but pretending like that kind of stuff doesn't exist and then you know and then hoping that their kid never sees it is probably not the best way to go about it it reminds me a little bit of like sex education too because like sexual education is like I mean it seems pretty well documented to be like pretty horrible in American schools and, you know, sex is very much this, like, taboo thing, you know, but it's, like, it would be less taboo if we just, like, taught it well and talked about it well and taught it thoroughly and didn't have, you know, one day a year when you're in eighth grade where you watch a movie about, like, getting boners. Like, that's not sex education. That's, that's it needs to be more than that, and there needs to be a more, like, open, honest discussion about it. So, I um, don't Those are, just, like, a few things that I was thinking about that kind of came to mind as you were talking about screen time and about online, maybe like mature content and stuff like that um, kind of rumbling around in the back of my mind.
1: No, I mean, those are super good points. I mean, I, I definitely agree that we as a society need to address that stuff more directly and be more honest about it. Avoidance is not an option because just like you said, kids are going to find out, they're going to hear from their friends, they're going to see it somewhere, they're going to go to a friend's house who's not being watched by their parents. It's gonna, it's going to creep up. It's impossible to like raise a child who is never going to be exposed to these things unless you like keep them locked in a closet, which I do not recommend to anybody. So don't do that. Um, and also that's not what homeschooling is either. Like, you know, I mean, this is a d- topic for a different day, but I noticed a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about homeschooling. My kid is not locked in a closet. He is super social. He gets out. We go to a lot of things. He meets a lot of people. Uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good deal. Talk to me about it some other time and we'll get into it. Uh, but yeah, so you, you do have to, um, address those things and that's really, why you want to be so involved. Because when something like that pops up in a show, you can pause the show and be like, oh, okay, well, what do you think about this? Like this guy just got killed or this white guy was mean to this black woman or this, this person uh, was touched against their will. And what do you think about that and talk about it? So like you can use these examples as like conversation starters to something that will really impact your child in life. And if you never talk about it, if you're never exposed to those things, if you're never as a parent in a position where you have a chance to talk about those things through your kids, they will never know how you feel about it. They will never know your take on those things. You'll never really get the chance to like impart your view of the world on them. And that's really what parents are here to do. Like we're here to raise our kids to take over for us. You know, once we get old and die, they're the next generation. Uh, no getting around that. So you might as well do the best job you can and avoiding these things does your kids no service whatsoever. Um, also, just to circle back, I do kind of want to point out um, I am very fortunate in that I've had a good job um, and that I've been able to afford to, uh, to be homeschooling. But part of that also is that we as a family talked about wanting to homeschool for these very reasons. I mean, we wanted to be really involved. We wanted to take care of our kids. And we intentionally like, made a lot of choices uh, to make, make it so that we could homeschool. You know, We live in a, a place that is much smaller than I think most Americans would find acceptable. So we're okay being in a smaller space because we can pay less rent. Uh, you know, we cook a lot of meals at home, therefore we can save a lot of money from going out. We, uh, really spent a lot of time really ratcheting down our budget and being very careful about what we spend because, uh, you know, spending can get away from you really quickly. Uh, we're in constant communication, me and my wife about what we're buying, what we're planning, what we do. And so we're a really good team as far as that goes, because we both know like, like homeschooling is something that is really important to us and it's not something that just happens. Like we're not wealthy We don't have a bunch of money. We can't just write checks to solve problems, and so we try to be as creative as possible. You know, we sacrifice some things. We make some choices that maybe other people wouldn't make, Uh, but but, you know, just because that's how we that's how we roll. Like we feel like that's the important thing to do, and that's where we want to spend our time and energy. And also, a part of that is just making it a priority for yourself. You know, um, I meet a lot of people who who say, you know, oh, you know, I wish I could do that. I wish I could, but they don't really want to. Like, you know, they. They want to go to the gym or they want to go drink or they want to party or something, and they just don't make the choices to go and spend time with their kids. And I think that if they spent more time with their kids, the bond would be better and they would have a better relationship. Maybe they don't necessarily have to homeschool, but at least they could be like more involved. Um, I mean, I think the American school system is really like a travesty. Uh, I mean, don't get me started. I'll talk about that for hours. But, (laughs) you know, having your kid being away from you for like nine hours a day means you're not raising your kids. They're being raised by other people, and you just get them for a little bit at the end of the day. And I know that's really hard for a lot of parents to listen to, but that's just a fact. I mean, if you're not spending time with them, you're just not spending time with them. So you can make choices. You can, I mean, and I realize that economically that's not possible for everybody. So I, I get that's that we're really, really fortunate to be in that position. Uh, but if you can make choices, if you can not buy a new car every year, if you can not take this extravagant vacation every year, if you cut back on your spending, maybe it's possible that you could work a little bit less. Or maybe like one of your, you know, you or your spouse could stay home once in a while. And you could maybe start to like build that relationship. Because if you feel like your kids are worth it, you know, give up some of those money things. Don't be chasing the bigger, shinier thing. Don't keep up with the Joneses. You know, do make a different choice and prioritize things that are really important to you. I mean, I don't see a lot of people making those choices. Uh, and I know a lot of people can't make those choices. So I'm not trying to judge anybody. Like if you're struggling, I know it's hard out there. I have I have been to the food bank. I have been poor. My parents grew up on welfare. So I know what it's like to not have money. Like, and I'm not wealthy now, but you can make choices and you can do different things. Uh, it's just kind of about a lot of it is is your situation, but also how you manipulate your situation as well. And hopefully your partner and you are on the same page. That's a whole different other conversation. We're starting like 10 different conversations here. (laughs) We're not going to get into all this. It's a complicated process. Bottom line, if your kid has a screen in your home, and I know they do, or they're going to be exposed to one somewhere, get in there with them, spend time with them. Don't be afraid of it and do it together. And it'll be a much better experience for everyone involved. So there
0: you go. I, Although I don't have kids, I suppose I couldn't agree more. I will trust your parenting expertise on this. Um, But before this gets any further away from us, do you think we should wrap the show up?
1: We are long past you wrapping it up. Let's get out of here, man. (laughs) Uh,
0: All right. Okay, 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 everybody. So, um, rants about children and screen time and raising and parenting and all that stuff aside, uh, we are going to bring episode 115 to a close. Um, We did talk about... Nippon Marathon, Onimusha Warlords, XCOM 2, and Return of the Obra Den. Um, And just as another reminder, uh, between this show and the banter, uh, Brad's wonderful son, Witty, will be back with some nine-year-old game reviews. So instead of going from music straight into banter, it will be music, his review segment, music, and then banter. So stay tuned if you want to hear uh, thoughts of a handful of video games from a nine-year-old and then a banter after that. Um, I hope you do, but if you don't, uh, feel free to bail, uh, now or at any point if you haven't already, and we will be back next week for episode number 116. Um, but remember also you can send us any, uh, thoughts, comments, feedback, um any games you want us to play, any show ideas, any topics, any Q&A. Even if it's not video game related, Brad and I will answer just about any question you throw at us. So um, as uh, referenced by this show, we talked about screen time with kids. That's, I mean, kind of related to video games, but not entirely related to video games. But we will answer whatever you throw our direction. So um, I'll give you a handy dandy list of ways you can get in touch with us. The first way is by email. We have a email for the podcast. It is So Podcast at gmail.com you can also post comments on game critics site whenever shows go live there brad is very good at monitoring the game critics comments and we did get a pretty funny comment related to my story about getting high for the first time a couple weeks ago so thank you for sending that comment and i had a good laugh i need to respond to it on game critics but i haven't yet Um, You can also catch us on Twitter. We are available on Twitter as a collective show. Our handle is at Games. And last but not least, you can reach us individually on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, Brad and I are both on both of those platforms. Uh, Brad, would you like to give out your personal social media handles?
1: Sure. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram. It's B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's.
0: Excellent. And... Uh I am available on Twitter and Instagram and Twitch. I'm not really on Twitch much, but I say that every show for some reason. Um my handle is also my first and last name, Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y, M-O-T-L-E-Y. Uh Brad, do you have anything else before we sign off?
1: No, that's it. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh hopefully you tolerated our rants and raves. Um <laughs> and if you have any feedback for my son or if you have any requests for him to review a game, he loves getting that feedback. He's thrilled to be a part of the show. Uh, So if you like his stuff, please let him know. He'll be tickled pink. Uh, But that's coming up. And otherwise, we will catch you next week.
0: Absolutely. So that's the end of episode 115. We'll be back next week with episode 116. But until then, this is a bye from Corey. And bye
1: from Brad. See you next time. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this post-post-show content. Uh, We've had a number of requests for more kid-focused reviews starring my son, Whitaker. Uh, We meant to do this a while ago, and we just kept forgetting, and then we'd be busy, and then it was bedtime, and just one thing after another. But uh, the stars finally aligned. I'm here. He's here. We've played some games, and now we are going to do some kid-focused reviews per your request. Uh, before we get into that, first, let me introduce my son, Whitaker. Whitty, how are you?
2: I'm doing good. How about you?
1: I'm doing fine. A little bit irritated, but we'll get to that in just a minute. So today, we have actually a number of reviews to get to. Uh, I believe we're going to be talking about PUBG, also known as Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. We'll talk about Steep. We'll talk about Chippendales Rescue Rangers uh, because here on the So Video Games Podcast, it's uh, you know anything old, anything new, anything in between definitely qualifies as old but first let's start off with the most important review of the day actually a publisher reached out to us and they wanted to have you review a game which was pretty unusual and we did that unfortunately uh we were supposed to do it like two months ago and we just kept forgetting and just taking it forever but let's fix that mistake now uh you played paw patrol on a roll is that correct
2: yes i did
1: Okay, so first of all, I'm guessing a lot of people listening may not know what Paw Patrol is. What is Paw Patrol?
2: Um, it's just a group of dogs that save people. That's basically.
1: In real life? Because that sounds amazing. Where do you see these dogs?
2: Um, usually in shows, but they've never made a game.
1: Until now. Until now. Okay, so Paw Patrol, super popular TV show. Now there's also like toys and books and socks and head yeah. warmers and all that stuff, right? Underwear. And underwear. I'm sure there's underwear. <laughs> there's always underwear. So, okay. So you played Paw Patrol on a roll on the Switch. So first of all, tell us basically like what you do in it, and then at the end, tell us what you liked or you know what you liked, what you didn't like, whatever. All so right. what is it? What is it about?
2: So basically, you do levels, and you and it auto chooses who you play as, and there usually plays multiple of them. Multiple dogs, you mean? Yeah. Okay. And then you go in and you just do, like, fun obstacles. Now, what is a fun
1: obstacle? Is that, like, jumping into, like, a pit of pillows or, like, having someone tickle you or what?
2: No, like, doing, like, doing, like, shooting, like, a little net and, like, bouncing on it and going up.
1: Okay. So tell us, uh, so to paint the picture a little bit, so these dogs, I mean, they're not just regular dogs, right? I mean, they can do stuff. Like, tell us about the dogs. Like, what can, what are their powers besides pooping and eating?
2: Okay, number one, disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> number two, um, well, they, I guess they're smarter than most dogs.
1: And they have, like, abilities or something, right? They have gear or something like that? Yes,
2: yeah, so they have gear. Their doghouse can apparently turn into any into the vehicle that their kid is chosen for. Like, one can have, like, a police car. One's, like, a fire truck. One, I think, is a helicopter.
1: Okay, so they have vehicles, and then yeah. they can each do, like, little... They each have little powers, right? Because one's, like, a cop dog. Who he, like, you know, takes away your rights and is really mean to, to dogs of color.
2: No. That, no? No, he doesn't do that. Oh no.
1: <laughs> Well, okay, so, all right. Anyway, so, anyway, each dog has a power. So, in your, in the game, what is what kind of game is it? Is it, like, open world? Is it a platformer? Is it a shooter? Like, what is it? It's
2: more like a platformer. Okay. You just go around and you have use your special abilities. And then when you use those, it gets you farther. And okay. usually when you get to the end, you get to use your other special ability to help the person.
1: Alright, and like, what is... So there's a person? Like, is that the point of the game? Or what is the point of, of what you're doing? The
2: point of it is you usually help a person or animals, like bunnies and stuff. Like, one time there were bunnies stuck on, like, an old bridge and you need to go rescue them. So, like, you'd get... A special dog for repairing bridges. It's like a recycler dog because he can recycle anything.
1: Then he recycled the bridge and then make, like, what? Like, some kind of a... He
2: recycled, like, some old wood and made it into a bridge platform so then they could walk across. Okay. So Eco-friendly and it. doing
1: community works projects. That sounds like a pretty helpful dog. So so yeah. did you finish the game?
2: Yes, I did. All the levels completed and it was way too long.
1: Oh, no. It was way too long. Okay, so first off, was it fun? Like, were you enjoying playing it?
2: Yeah, it was fun.
1: And then, so why do you say it was too long?
2: The levels went on way too long. They should have been a little bit shorter, like, a few minutes shorter, because, like, I did not want to go that far. It took forever.
1: Oh, okay. So it took quite a while to get through each levels, and then, so then altogether, did it take a long time to finish the game?
2: Yeah, it took, I mean, like, overall, in small games like that, it took about, I mean, like, a couple of hours, but for kids, that's, like, forever. So it's very long.
1: (laughs) Time is relative, right? Like, a few minutes to me, it seems like all day to you, especially if it's something boring, right? Yes. Okay. So, okay, so overall, would you recommend it? So keep in mind that Paw Patrol is probably a a series that kids like, probably more for kids than adults, I'm guessing. And if you were a kid and you liked Paw Patrol and then, like, I came home and I'm like, hey, Winnie, it's uh, Christmas or it's birthday or it's uh, Arbor Day. Here's a gift for you. And I gave you a copy of Paw Patrol on a roll. Like, would you think that would be a good gift or would you be upset that I gave it to you?
2: Mm, I don't really know. I'm not really a fan of Paw Patrol, but I don't like hate it.
1: You're like, you're ambivalent about Paw Patrol? Yeah. Okay, so, but overall, do you think it was a good game? Would you rec if somebody said, hey, Witty, uh, we're here, we're, we're two kids on the playground. Hello, young child, equal child. Um, and, and he's asking you for game reviews and he likes Paw Patrol. Like, if a friend liked Paw Patrol. Would you recommend it to them? Yeah, probably. Probably if so. If
2: they like Paw Patrol, I'd probably recommend it.
1: And overall, do you give it like a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or how many stars out of ten? What do you want to do? Uh, about
2: a five and a
1: half. Five and a half out of out of what? Ten. Yeah. Okay, that sounds fair. All right, that's Paw Patrol on a roll, and you played that on Nintendo Switch, right? Yep. All right, moving on. Let's talk about Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers. This is on the Disney Afternoon Collection. Uh, I got that for you, I think probably last year, because I wanted to share some old-school nostalgia with you. And that was kind of a strange choice, because those games are fucking hot garbage back in the day. Those games are awful. Um, it's, so, I have better memories of them than I think what they actually are. So yes. you've played that Disney Afternoon Collection quite a bit, right?
2: Yeah, I've played a lot of it, and most of them are too hard.
1: They're really too hard. They're, but
2: they're literally like the old-school one, but you can rewind it and get all your life back. Which is something, but the game overall, without the rewinding, it would be, I would already have quit it on the first death.
1: See, now that's, that's interesting that you say that, because back in the day, those were the only games we had, and there was no rewind, and so you either played it or you didn't. And actually, most of the games in that collection, uh, me and uh, my brother have finished those for realsies um, back in the day. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me how many times it took us or how much practice we had to do. And it was fine back then, but now that I'm playing it now, I think this game's fucking miserable and I hate it so much. Um, I want to kick the developers in the nuts and just spit in their face because, like, it's a terrible game design. Um, But we we did...
2: We just finished Chivendale Rescue Rangers, the first one... Literally a few minutes ago.
1: Yes, we just got off, and I was really mad, and I wanted to record about it while I was still mad, so that's yes. why we're talking about it now. That
2: I keep getting cheated on by the casino cat with his thumbtacks and <laughs> yes, the gun around.
1: Yes, fucking casino cat and his thumbtacks. It's it's a miracle that they put that rewind in, because yes. that's really that's what makes it playable, right? Because every time we took yes. damage, you could just rewind and then keep yeah. going. And if it wasn't for that, do you think we would have actually finished that game?
2: Probably not.
1: Probably not. Do you think we would have finished level one?
2: Probably not. Probably not.
1: would you would you recommend the disney afternoon collection to anybody at all or who do you think would enjoy that the most
2: no not really
1: Yeah, I agree. I don't of agree. think I
2: recommend that to anyone.
1: I kind of agree. I played all those games back in the day, and I thought they were really fun, but now that I'm playing them, I think they're fucking hot garbage, and I hate them all.
2: Yeah, because our game systems are way better now than they were then, Yeah, and I'd rather play my PS4 over a Disney collection.
1: I agree. I agree. I'm right with you. Okay, two more games, and then we're going to call it good here. Now, uh, a couple days ago, the new games for... PS Plus came out, and one of those was steep. I had never played it before, but I know you pretty well because I'm your dad and I created you. Yep. So...
2: I mean, only 50%.
1: 50% is a lot. You'd only be half a person if I wasn't here.
2: Actually, more 30% because mom did most of the work.
1: I mean, that's debatable. Anyway.
2: You were working most of the time.
1: At the beginning, probably. And then I picked it up again nine months later, but... Anyway. Um, So... Steep came out, and you didn't want to try this at first, but I convinced you to finally download it, and you did download it. And so tell us really quickly, what is Steep? What is it?
2: So Steep is basically, you start on the mountains, and you just kind of ski or snowboard or paraglide or wingsuit or, like, apparently a rocket jetpack that you can use. Okay. And when you ski around, you just kind of ski around, but beware of the mountains because if you trip, because if you hit something hard, you can like trip, and you can start tumbling down a mountain. Because one time, I fell down a whole mountain, and it's like the
1: entire mountain, from the, the top the entire all way down. mountain
2: from the top to down, and my person got and my person died. Now, well, I mean, they... not technically die. I think they just get knocked out? Because it says KO. I don't know.
1: So the thing that's interesting about Steep is it's kind of like an open world game, right? Or it's like an open i guess mountain game because
2: open mountain game yeah you get to do challenges unlock stuff yeah that's basically it
1: i haven't played it but i was watching over your shoulder and it seemed like you could go like kind of like anywhere on the mountain is that how it works
2: yes you can go anywhere on the mountain there's also drop zones where a helicopter you can buy tickets and a helicopter will drop you off on a drop zone and then you can go skiing it's pretty awesome
1: All right, and so basically, like, there's no, like, guns or shooting or anything. I mean, you're just, just, like, doing extreme sports, right?
2: What? No, no guns. Just extreme sports and skiing and falling and knocking your person out falling off a cliff.
1: Okay, well, that sounds pretty good, although I gotta say, I don't think I've ever played a game where it was extreme winter sports plus combat. Maybe there is one out there, and that sounds kind of cool that you would do, like, skiing and then, like... Maybe your skis kind of razors on them, and you can slice people as you're going down. Or...
2: Technically, the combat in that is if someone falls, and you run them over with your snowboard, which I have done. <laughs> <laughs> and it probably looks like it hurts.
1: Is there a blood explosion, or no?
2: No, I just ran them over, <laughs> and I think they got a KO. <laughs> All
1: right. That would be pretty funny. So, okay, so you've tried Steep, and it's free right now on PS Plus. By the time people are listening to this, it's still going to be free, so you might be able to grab it. Do you, so do you like it? Do you recommend it to other people? What do you think?
2: I mean, if you like extreme stream sports, then yeah, I think I think I recommend it.
1: Okay, good. So, overall, how many stars out of 10?
2: Uh, I'd probably say about an 8. And, 8 out of 10. 8 and a quarter.
1: 8 8.25. Okay. And we forgot to do stars for Chip and Dale. How many stars would you give Chip and Dale? So, wait, wait, wait. First, how many stars do you give it with the rewind function?
2: A three.
1: A three. Now how many would you give it with without the rewind function?
2: Minus five.
1: My one negative five. You're the dark corners of the negative universe. Okay. All right. Last game <clears throat> excuse me. Last game to talk about. Uh PUBG Player Unknowns Battlegrounds. Um we ended up getting a copy of this for you. Kind of a long story. We're not gonna get into it here, but uh wasn't real super high on my uh to get list, but we ended up with a copy of it.
2: And I did want to play it.
1: Yeah, I do remember you saying you wanted to play it. Now we're we're both Fortnite fans, right? I think uh, we both we're not super fans, but I think we both enjoy a good round of Fortnite here and there.
2: Although, guess what? What PUBG was first in Fortnite. If you didn't know that, Pu- Fortnite actually took the idea from PUBG, and because PUBG was first.
1: True, but, I mean, to be fair. But PUBG
2: stole an idea from someone else. Yeah,
1: PUBG stole the idea from Suzanne Collins in The Hunger Games, and Suzanne Collins stole the idea from Battle Royale, which was a Japanese movie. Yep. And I don't know where those people got it from. Maybe they (laughs) came up with it or not, but everybody just steals ideas from everybody, and that's just, you know, welcome to Earth. And
2: that's literally what happened, and PUBG is just basically another version of Fortnite. If you play Fortnite, then it's basically just a more serious version of Fortnite, by the way. I just use air quotes. Yeah,
1: they can't see that because it's a podcast, but I did appreciate the air quotes. So basically, like you're saying, just like Fortnite, it's a it's a battle royale genre, which means like, you know, one versus a hundred. There's a couple different modes, right? You... And there's
2: way more blood.
1: Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised by that. I have seen videos of it a little bit. I, I haven't really like, like read up sh- on it. If but... you
2: shoot someone in the face with a double-barreled shotgun, like their face is cut. Is literally just like a giant hole.
1: I know, just like real life, right? Would yeah. you say that's pretty realistic?
2: Yeah, it's pretty realistic.
1: Yeah, so I guess since it's basically the same thing as Fortnite, like a battle royale game, except for it seems to be a little bit more realistic
2: and more bloody
1: and and blo- yeah, definitely bloodier. I more, was
2: less guns though because Fortnite. Well, actually, technically more um, rare guns because Fortnite has RPGs, but. PUBG does not they only have like grenades. Maybe you just haven't found one yet. No. There I went into the training zone and there every weapon is on the ta- is uh, on I these see. tables, so if it was there, it would have been there.
1: Oh, uh, okay. And well, okay. So, despite the lack of rocket launchers, um, <laughs> you know, interested. so I guess between the two things, what do you think Fortnite does better and what do you think PUBG does better?
2: Fortnite is better about gliding. PUBG is not.
1: Okay, and between the two games, because you played a you know a couple days of PUBG, what do you think of that compared to Fortnite? Like, do you like one over the other, or would you recommend one or the other to people?
2: I mean, PUBG's is a little bit cooler because they got, I mean, they got better looking equipment. They got like gas masks and stuff and parkas. Like, I have one, mm-hmm. so that's probably the best. That's one of the best parts. Although, one of the worst parts. Is how hard it is to shoot people. There are, like, modes on the guns. You have to do other stuff with them. It's just way too complicated. Okay. I couldn't even know how to aim down the the sight because of how hard it was to find out.
1: So they take maybe a slightly more, well, I don't know, realistic, but at least a little bit more complicated approach towards the weapons and the gear and stuff?
2: Yes, more complicated approach against the gear and weapons, and if you haven't heard of the mascot, technically...
1: Mascot? What mascot? Were you
2: talking
1: about? For PUBG. Oh, the mask. I mean, the guy with the mask. Yeah. Yeah. What about him?
2: That's basic. You can get that suit. Like, if you wanna have the same suit as that, you can. You can actually get that. You can. I'm pretty sure you could buy it or something.
1: So you're saying you can look like the guy that's on the cover of the. Yeah, you can look like him. Cover of the game. Yeah, okay. you, have
2: to, you. I think you have to buy the suit when it comes in. All right. And then you have to get a level three helmet from care packages. Just like the lo- the supply drops that come in Fortnite near the cl- the close end of the eye.
1: Okay, so if you had to only pick one, if 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 there was a battle royale of battle royale games and the the top two left over after all the other 98 ones were dead,
2: was Fortnite was Fortnite
1: or PUBG, and you can only pick one. There's only be one winner, and they're both inside the eye. Uh, which one would you want which to one, see win? Which
2: one would I shoot for? Which one would I shoot? Which one do you want to win? Um. Uh, well, Fortnite has more pets on your back, so that's kind of, like, that's kind of a bonus, but PUBG doesn't have them, but it does look a little bit cooler than Fortnite, because everyone looks weird. Everything's kind of weird.
1: Okay, so, you still didn't answer the question. Which one wins? Um, Which one wins? Fortnite. Okay, Fortnite. How come Fortnite wins? Because pets, furry pets win?
2: Hurry pets, and there's even cooler skins.
1: That's true. There's a lot of good skins. Okay, I agree with you. I After watching PUBG, I'm not really interested to try it.
2: Plus, there's too much blood in PUBG. Pretty
1: bloody. Yeah, that's true. But I People think Fortnite like is more mm. fun. It just seems kind of lighter and funner and more accessible and more, I don't know, goofy. I like goofy. Not really a big fan of, like, hardcore blood and shoot you in the face kind of stuff. So Okay, sounds like that. Is the winner Fortnite? Is the winner, and I think probably in terms of cash income, Fortnite is also the winner. I think they're like making a couple billion dollars a year. or So
2: and I get and I get cheaper values for V Bucks.
1: You feel like V Bucks are a better, better value?
2: Yeah, because like I think it was like a thousand is like ten bucks, which I <laughs> it's pretty. That that's feels pretty, like a good value. It's pretty to affordable. Get. Pretty yeah. affordable for, for a nine-year-old. Although the top kid. one is like a thousand, something is like eight thousand something, and it's like a hundred bucks. Which, I mean, if you're, like, a super, super for Fortnite nerd, then, you could, <laughs> then you'd probably buy that.
1: <laughs> all right, all right. Thank you for uh, the financial breakdown of the monetary system there. Okay, I think that's it. Four reviews is a pretty good day. I think we're going to call it to a close. Anything you'd like to say to the So Video Games listeners before we sign off?
2: Um, if you have any more reviews for me, if anyone's listening, please give them to me because I would like to review them.
1: So you want people to send you review games, or you want people to request that you do reviews?
2: Uh, both.
1: Both. Okay, well, I guess there you have it. He wants some codes, and if you want him to do reviews, he's taking requests. Uh, all right, Winnie, thank you very much for being here with us. We really appreciate you on the show. I'm sure the listeners appreciate it, too. And we'll bring you back again in the future, okay? All right. All right, say goodbye to everybody.
2: Bye. Bye.
1: just tired tired i need a shower like
0: desperately really badly right now but this is like the filthiest i've ever recorded i think and i just i don't feel good about it (laughs) It's a good thing people can't smell you through their car speakers or headphones
1: oh god that would be terrible just like that scent just like wafting in through these little ports in your cars sealed environment as you're cruising on the highway that would be awful i'd have to apologize to everyone so profusely
0: what if you gave off like sexy pheromones though and people liked it
1: See, that's interesting you say that because I talk about my uh, that exact topic with my wife all the time. Because let me ask you this question, Corey. Uh, so, you know, we're, we like to think of humans as being like above the animals and different and, <laughs> and apart from nature and all that stuff. Dominion of the world. Oh, but smell really plays a really important part in people every single day. And I can often remember, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, please share if you have. But I can often remember, like, meeting someone, and they look like a normal person. They seem fine, well-dressed or whatever, but they smell off, and I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> like, I don't want to be... And not, like, bad or anything. I'm not saying they smell like shit or anything, but just, like, just something about their smell is just like, ugh, I, just, I don't like the way this person smells. Have you ever had that experience?
0: Um, I mean, I've had the experience of people just straight up smelling bad, but I've never had an experience of, like, someone smelling bad. I don't know, just like weird, but not in an unpleasant way. So I've I've been doing a little reading
1: about this like over the years, and I've seen that many articles that say a part of your attraction to someone or one really important thing that factors into your compatibility with someone is that you have to like the way they smell. Like you can't just tolerate it. And I'm not saying they need to smell like, you know, vanilla or something <laughs> delicious or something like that. But like you have to smell them and it has to be like, yeah, I like the way you smell. Like this smells good. I Just just like it's a tolerable, acceptable smell. So like this is maybe TMI, but, um, you know, like when my wife is walking around, I smell her I'm like, man, you smell good, girl. Like I just, you know, she just smells like a person, but she smells good. Like I like the way she smells and it's not like she's wearing perfume or anything. It's just like the smell of her actual body. And so that I think that is definitely part of your body telling you, yes, this is an acceptable person for me to be with, you know, maybe there's some kind of, you know, super deep animal brain DNA, like, oh, my my DNA is compatible with this person's DNA. They're a good breeding partner because they smell right or something, you know, but I'm sure there's part of it too, that is equally applicable to LGBTQ relationships or just having, or just like friendships, you know, like you can't be friends with someone if you don't like the way they smell, you know what I mean? (laughs) I just I find that a lot. I find that a lot. And I I can think back to people that I've met where I'm like, they seem like a totally cool person and they're great, but I don't like to hang out with them because they just smell not bad, just my brain is like, yeah, no, I don't like the way this person smells.
0: No? Not for you? Um, I don't know. I've never like had someone smell weird before. Like only bad. Like never good i don't know or okay i maybe i'm not like as in tune with my sense of smell as i should be but i mean pheromones are definitely a thing but yeah like i don't know i feel like in order to really smell someone you have to or maybe this is just me but i have to be like really close to them like really like like close enough to be like kissing them or something and so i don't usually get that close to people um I don't know. This, Understandable. I'll, I'll, Understandable. this is one of those things I'm going to have to think about going forward, though, because now I'm thinking about when I photograph people, because if I photograph someone in the home studio, I'm pretty close to them, and sometimes I'll, like you know, adjust their hair a little bit, or, you know, like, smooth out a wrinkle on their shoulder, on their shirt. Okay,
1: hold 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 up. I'm not telling you to become, like, a secret sniffer next time someone's <laughs> in your studio, so I'm not I'm not saying that. I, I'm not saying take a quick whiff of every dude that comes in your, but it, in your studio. But either but... way,
0: it's something that maybe I should try to pay more attention true, to, true. like, going forward. Well, like,
1: okay, so, like, when I was a kid, and maybe you've had this experience, maybe not, I don't know, but, like, you know, when I was a kid and we lived near places where I had other fellow kids nearby and we would go over to each other's house, I can clearly remember going over to people's house and sometimes it would be fine. And then sometimes not their house would not be dirty. Like, I'm not saying like they're filthy or they're hoarders or anything, but just like you would go inside someone's house and it would just smell different. And I would be like, "Ugh, I don't like being in this house. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Like, it's not dirty. I'm not in danger or anything. It just smells off. And... I, I mean i I can think of a few houses like they stick really strongly in my memory of like
0: this is a house I don't like to be in because it smells off. is that
1: you ever have that that association or that that
0: connection That has happened before. like there was a girl that I was pretty good friends with in high school, and <clears throat> it was pretty much the same thing like they weren't like dirty or gross, and their house wasn't gross, but I think their house was just really old and every time you like walk in the front door, it was just like this overwhelming scent of like. Sort of like old dust that would just like hit you and it was not a pleasant smell. Um, So that is something I can get on board with. The idea of like someone's home environment smelling strange, but like an individual person themselves, I'm not sure I've paid enough attention to like be able to detect their scent.
1: Well, here's a test for you. Here's a test for you. So the next time that Patrick is around, just go up to him and like, don't stick your nose in an armpit or anything, but just like just get close enough that you can smell him and just like just smell and just be like, I bet you anything. Because you guys have been have been together for a while, like a long time, right? How long has it
0: been? Uh, it's been like 11 years.
1: That is a super long time for people of uh, your generation and my generation. You know, people back in the old days get married 50 years, no one blinks at it. But that's super rare these days. People get divorced at the drop of the hat. People split up all the time. For you guys to be together that long, I think that's super significant. Also, congratulations. But smell, smell, Patrick. And I bet you that if you get a good old whiff, you'd be like, "Yeah, that smells all right." You know, because I don't. If you didn't like the way he smelled, I don't think you guys would be <laughs> together, dude. Honestly.
0: I mean, probably. Also, there might be the idea at play that like, you know, we've been around each other so long that he doesn't smell any. Like, I've become used to the smell. But the thing yeah. when you said something about armpits, this is like my like gay flags started going off because like in the gay community, I don't know if you know this or not, but in the gay community there is very much an armpit fetish. And if I liked armpits, I would be like, yeah, they're great, but I'm not one who like subscribes to this sort of fetish thing. But like it that is a thing in the gay community of like the gay male community is like people like to see people's armpits. And there's even like subsets of porn that are devoted to like smelling other men's armpits. And that's, like, not something I would ever want to do. That just sounds kind of gross to me. But I respect people that want to do that kind of thing, because who am I to say, like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. Sure, sure. You're not king-shaming.
1: We get that. Yeah, but that's,
0: like, like a thing in the gay community is, like, armpits. Like, people like to see them. People like to smell them. Um, Maybe, I don't know, lick them. And that's, like, not something I'm into, but that's definitely a thing in the gay community, and it's probably tied to pheromones as well and like the scent of people and sort of like smelling their like musky scent that comes out of their armpits. I can't believe I'm talking about this right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I took you down a dark, dark road, Corey. (laughs) Well, okay. So clearly that's a thing because I mean, clearly there must be some kind of pheromone scent thing attached. I mean, in in addition to all the normal sexual transgression, taboos, turn-ons, et cetera, et cetera. But there must be some kind of a like pheromone musk component to it. So that makes perfect sense. I mean, not something I've explored, but I trust that you're telling me the truth and it makes perfect sense to me. I, I could totally believe it. So there you go. I think uh, next time, smell Patrick. Let me know. <laughs> report back to the show. Let us know what you find. And then we'll just, we'll continue to discuss.
0: All right, I will uh, I will try to report back. Excellent, excellent. And
1: don't even tell him what you're doing. Like Just, just, go, <laughs> just go up Ew. to him and just be like, hold on, I need to smell you. And then... <laughs>
0: see what he says. <laughs> I feel like this is just a waiting to be in bed thing. Because, I mean, not not necessarily sexually related. But, like, when you're in bed with someone that's, like, normally the closest you are to them. So sure, maybe sure, sure. tomorrow night. Well, I mean, he's been working nights. So maybe if he comes to bed tomorrow morning and I wake up and I'll just, like, snuggle up and just take a nice deep breath. I just can't believe we're talking about this right now. <laughs> and I'll report back. <laughs> Ah, uh, I love this show. This is a good show. We do a good show here,
1: folks. This is a good show.
0: We have had people tell us that our banter segment is their favorite banter segment of any podcast they listen to. So hopefully they will still think so after this.
1: I feel like if nothing else, this has been really educational. I bet a lot of people's eyes have been open, and I'll bet you anything that people listening to the show, when they're done, they're gonna go to their partner, they're gonna take a deep whiff, and they're gonna be they're gonna be like yeah, this smells good, or they're going to be, ugh, ugh, maybe
0: that's the problem we've been having. You just smell weird. Mm-hmm. It could be. Their eyes have been open, and their ears, and their noses have And been their open nostrils. Ears. The nostrils open wide, <laughs> yeah. so. All
1: right. Enough of scent. Enough of scent. Sorry, I kind of hijacked things right off
0: the bat here. How are you doing, <laughs> sir?
1: What's up with you, man? What have you been doing?
0: Uh, I am A-okay. I, so this week kind of took a... I mean, the week didn't take a turn, but it's going to take a turn, because... Uh, Last weekend I spent, or we're currently in last weekend. When I say last weekend, I mean today and yesterday. Um, It's been a nice weekend because it's been a three-day weekend. Like I talked about, I guess I didn't talk about this last week. Um, Today we were recording on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So um, I'm off work today, which is super rad. Um, And I did a cosplay photo shoot on Friday, which was really good. And... This week coming up, uh, last week, I very, 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 very unexpectedly booked a flight to Atlanta. Um, Did I talk about this yet? I don't
1: think so, but unexpected flight to Atlanta? It's not ringing a bell. Yeah,
0: I don't think I talked about it either. I just feel like every, like, three shows, I talk about going to Atlanta, even though I've only been there three times. But um, basically, there's the parkour group out there is having a competition this weekend on Saturday, and... uh, my friend, I have a couple, I mean, I have a lot of parkour friends in New Orleans, but a couple of them, Levi and Ian. Um, Levi is, like, my favorite, and he, I don't tell anybody else I said that, but Levi's my favorite, and he... Uh, <laughs> oh, the secret's out. Secrets <laughs> out so,
1: Corey plays favorites.
0: Oh, dear. And I guess, like, uh, Julian, one of the guys from uh, Atlanta, had been talking to Ian about going to their competition this weekend, and so Ian, I guess, like, uses some, like, facebook app thing that lets him book flights like on really cheap airlines for really cheap or something like that so levi texted me and he's like hey um julian's been talking to ian about going to atlanta this weekend and he's looking at flights like what do you think and i was like well that's first of all that's like a week and a half's notice and second of all like i don't really know if i want to pay for a flight there and back if we're only going to be there for A couple days because we were originally talking about going friday through monday and i was like well i just took a day off work because i was sick and next week um you know i don't want to take i don't think i could take like a friday through monday off because i like literally just took a day off like last week and um and then we ended up shortening the trip friday through sunday and i was like okay well maybe i could get away with just taking one day off and so i'm taking friday off um so this week is kind of wild because i have Monday off already, which is today, and then I'm going to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I'm going to have Friday off because I took, my boss was kind enough to give me Friday off work, so I'm flying to Atlanta Friday, which is like, I literally think it's like a 45-minute flight. Like, we're probably not even going to be in the air long enough to, like, get up to cruising altitude to, like, use laptops, and we're going to be, like, on our way back down, and so flying to Atlanta Friday, doing parkour stuff, I guess, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we were flying out Sunday and coming right back. Um, the flights were only, like, $80 round trip, which is bananas. Wow,
1: that's pretty cheap, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, like, I'm kind of expecting the plane to just, like, fall apart midair. Like, I'm not really sure how this is going to work. Um, but apparently, Ian has flown um, via this, like, ticket getter or via this airline, like, several times before and has had no problems. Um, and I'm not checking a bag because I know usually when flights are that cheap, they charge you, like a million dollars just to check a bag, but I'm not checking any bags. So um, I'm looking forward to doing that this weekend. However, the big, big old caveat here is that I didn't think about this ahead of time, but I'm leaving town to go to Elena on Friday and resident evil two comes out on Friday, which I wanted no, to spend. No. I know I wanted to play it all no, weekend no. and now cancel cancel um, abort abort. I know abort mission abort mission. Um, so I'm going to be out of town the entire weekend that Resident Evil 2 remake comes out. And that's oh like, my I mean, I talked about it at length on the last show. It's like, I'm looking forward to that game more than anything else this year. And I mean, obviously, like, I'll be able to play it when I get back. Like, this is like first world problem central here. Like, oh no, I'm flying to You're Atlanta. You're going to have to stay off Twitter to, <clears> the
1: <throat> entire time, dude. You're not going to be able to do any social media.
0: Well, I'm not that concerned about it getting spoiled for me because it's like a remake of a game that I know inside and out. But I'll just be very cautious about my social media usage um but yeah I'll be out of town for it but I'll probably pick it up like Sunday or Monday when I get back I might just go buy it like Monday when I get off work and then probably spend all week playing it every day when I get off work and bringing more info to the show and all that stuff so um that's been my last week kind of in a big old nutshell cosplay photo shoot I'm going to Atlanta missing Resident Evil's premiere and then I'll be playing it whenever I get back so um so yeah, I'll probably have some Atlanta stories whenever I get back for the show for next week's banter.
1: We're like Hot Atlanta, am I right? Hot Atlanta. You never heard that before? No, I have not. Really? <laughs> oh, really? Never heard that before? No. I'm not even
0: from Atlanta. I've heard that many times. No. Is this like a generational well, thing?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I think <laughs> I've heard many people from the South call it Hot Atlanta because. I don't know why. It's a sexual thing. Maybe it's just really hot. I mean, I don't know. I just you know I've never been there. Can't say for myself. But. uh Maybe when you go down there, just like say it out loud a few times and see if anybody responds on the on the
0: street. Or maybe they'll be like, "Oh, you fucking tourist," and then they'll punch me in the head yeah. right then and there. <laughs> yeah, but that, that, very possible. Very possible. Don't do it in mixed
1: company, I guess. Well, so. speaking of
0: Hot Lana, that what pisses me off is like, of course, I looked up the weather for what the weather's going to be like because the weather in New Orleans has been very like up and down lately. Like it was like. 70 degrees for a week and then it was like 40 degrees for a week and it's kind of been like fluctuating between the two for the past few weeks and of fucking course it's going to be like a high of 40 the entire time we're in atlanta which i know maybe depending on where you're listening to this that might be warm to you but um 40 degrees is definitely not warm where i am from so like i really would like to do outdoor training with the guys because that's like the bet usually the best for photos and for the environment because the gym there is not very good for photos um but, yeah, it's going to be, like, 40 degrees, so I doubt any outdoor training is going to happen, which makes me a little bit sad. I mean, forty's
1: pretty fucking cold, dude. That's only, like, 8 degrees above freezing, so, yeah, it's icy cold. I don't think anybody would say that was warm. I mean, if you're training for Arctic shit, then it's probably fine, <laughs> but, I mean... I'd be looking for a warm blanket and some hot cocoa yeah. if that was how it was outside. So Well
0: compared to like where I grew up in Missouri where it's probably like negative five degrees right now, that's like pretty warm, but it's still not very warm for me. Jesus. Jesus.
1: Man. All right. Let's do let's do some let's do some movie and TV talk. I feel like we haven't talked about media for a while and that's kind of what we've built our, our banter on. Um, we covered armpits. We covered Hotland. Let's talk about <laughs> TV and movies. Have you seen anything good lately that you wanna that you wanna talk about? Anything that's been uh, enjoyable? Anything worth worth
0: mentioning? Um, I watched the pretty much the only TV show I watch um, that's not you know twenty years old and on Netflix. Um, Star Trek Discovery, the new season of Star Trek, premiered on Thursday, and Patrick and I watched it. Um, a couple of nights ago. Um, They have, like... Because now, you know, there was, like, Netflix and Hulu, and now every cable channel is doing their own streaming service. So CBS has its own streaming service, So and we don't have cable cable, so Patrick just subscribes to CBS All Access and then cancels his subscription as soon as Star Trek is over. The season (laughs) is over, so... Um, He resubscribed to it a few days ago when we watched the... It's the second season, um, season two premiere of Star Trek. I don't really know what all to say about it. And there's not really a lot I can say without spoiling it because there's like a ton of shit that went down in the first season. Um, But I'll just say that it is good and I like it. And um, I hope that it stays good. They're like reintroducing a younger Spock into this. And apparently like they're kind of like reverse engineering the timeline where like the lead character of Discovery, she was kind of like an orphan sister for Spock when they were really young. So I guess they're like going to reunite them this season. Um, so he didn't, he wasn't in the first episode, but apparently he's going to be in it um, later on. And this isn't like a spoiler because there was like casting news about this months ago because they cast him. Um, I don't remember the guy's name, but there's like a new young Spock that's in it. And I guess... I don't really know what they're gonna do if he's gonna like become part of Discovery and be on the ship with them or if he's somewhere else. I don't really know what's going on. But in the first episode, a lot of stuff happened, but there were bits and pieces of it sort of like leading up to trying to find him again. So that's probably gonna be a big thing in season two. Interesting, interesting.
1: So, so, on a related note, this kind of reminds me I kind of had this grand vision. Of watching all the Star Trek, Um, not because I'm like really a super fan, but I have really enjoyed the show off and on over the years. And I do have fun memories of it. Um, I tried to watch the original, like start from square one, like from the very first episode before any of the original characters were in it uh, with my oldest. And I thought it was going to be like this giant clusterfuck, like it would be too old or, (laughs) you know, but no, he actually really got into it. And we got through probably half of the original I don't know, Generation 1 or whatever you want to call them, the original like Spock and Kirk episodes, uh, really liked those a lot. But then, you know, he lives with his mom. So after the summer is over, we didn't get a chance to finish everything. And uh, we haven't really continued with that. But then, um, you know, my youngest son really liked the Orville. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But, you know, I talked about the Orville at length last, last time that it was on, uh, about, you know, six months or a year ago or whatever. Uh, And my son really likes that. And I was like, well, look, if you really like this, you know, this is basically Next Generation. And there's like, I don't even know how many seasons of that. So, I mean, you could almost even pretend like it's even the same universe because they're really that similar. So I I have this scheme that I'm going to try to bust out the Next Generation soon, but not quite there yet. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. But speaking of the Orville, it just did come back to TV for season two. Now, okay, so I want to back up a little bit. I talked about this a lot when it was on. I watched the entire first season. I loved it. I thought it was quite good. But um, I had someone, I'm not going to name names, but I had someone approach me on Twitter <laughs> and was like, I can't believe you like the show. I can't believe you're talking about it. And I'm like, oh, what's up? And they're like, Seth MacFarlane is, I, I don't know, It's an asshole, I guess. And Family Guy was super transphobic and he's awful, awful, and I'm never going to support him. And I'm like, oh, well, I didn't, um, I mean, I'm not really a Family Guy watcher, so I can't speak to that. And I don't know anything about Seth MacFarlane. I mean, my 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 only real experience with him is this show, which I thought was great. I really liked it a lot. So I was like kind of bummed because I don't want to support anybody if they're like an asshole or transphobic, but I haven't really heard that from anybody. That was the first time. Um, and I haven't done any research. Do you know offhand, like is he famous for being some kind of a dick or like is has he been wrapped up in transphobic or homophobic stuff over the years or what? Do you have any, any background on Seth MacFarlane at all?
0: I mean, I have, I mean, I don't have like, like concrete evidence i mean i watched family guy off and on whenever i was younger and i mean there's definitely like it kind of does the thing that like south park does where it's like it's kind of like racist on purpose to be like satirical which i don't really always get behind um, because i feel like i don't know like i i'm not really one to subscribe to sort of that humor of like oh, we're going to do things kind of like racist, but we know that it's racist. So we're going to like pat ourselves on the back and get away with it. Um, And I feel like he's sort of fallen into that category. Um, But I also haven't watched Family Guy in, uh, I mean, years, years, maybe a decade at this point, um, or something like that. So I mean, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest to hear that kind of stuff. Um, But at the same time, like I said, I don't, I can't be like oh an episode in season 4 episode 32 there was a you know transphobic joke like I can't I don't know anything like that right but, right right um, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me and I feel like that is kind of idea it's one of those things where like every once in a while you see something like on Twitter where it'll be like oh well he said this or oh this was in his show and I don't support that and usually if I read stuff like that I just kind of like maybe this is like mindless of me but I always just kind of like agree with it like I'm always like oh yeah I'm not surprised to hear that like another straight white dude, like, using his humor in a way that's, like, racist or transphobic or homophobic or something like that. Um, And then I just kind of, like, stopped paying attention to it. And I feel like that's kind of what happened with Seth MacFarlane. Like, I just, like, saw some stuff on Twitter and I was like, okay, well, this doesn't really surprise me. So I'm just going to kind of stop paying attention and not really giving him the attention or the shows the attention. Um, But also it's a double-edged sword because that I'm not going to, like, go like research it any further than I have to, but I'm also not going to like research people's like homophobia. You know what I mean? To like right, get on right. top of it. Um, so I guess like long story no, I mean, short, makes, I've heard yeah, that. It's, yeah. doesn't surprise me, but I don't have any like hard evidence of anything.
1: Yeah. I mean, it gave me pause because I definitely, I want to be on the right side of this and I don't want to support people who are, are bad people or who are, you know, who are furthering things, which I don't support. But I mean, I have to say I was a little surprised because, I mean, okay, I haven't done any research. Like, I haven't Googled him or, you know, looked at his background or anything. Uh, But just knowing what I know from the Orville, which is season one and a couple episodes of season two, um, I mean, yeah, there's jokes and stuff, but, like, they have, God, at at least one super prominent... I mean, okay, so he's an alien. I don't know if you want to qualify him as gay, but, like, he looks very masculine, and every member of his species is also masculine. Like, there's no females in the species, so I guess... In one, on one sense, he's kind of a gay character, I guess. I mean, a little bit. But he, you know, is a real prominent character. And they talk about his relationship with this other alien who looks basically like a man. And they have their life. And they talked a lot about that relationship and how the other crew members were reacting to it. And there was jokes, but I felt like ultimately it was really positive. And interestingly, along with that same character, uh, because... So one of the issues that came up, which I thought was actually one of the better episodes, uh, was that Since everybody in that race looks like a, you know, man, the male equivalent of a man, even though they're aliens, um, they have kids. They they didn't super get into like the biology of how that worked, but anyway, one of them got pregnant, and they had a kid. But what happened was, one of the secrets that came out, and you know, I I apologize if this is a spoiler for anybody, but I feel like it's it's kind of relevant to what we're talking about here. Um, So what happened was they had a baby girl, and then it it came out that they're like, oh yeah once in a while, like one out of every thousand kids will be born a girl and we just fix them because we don't, we don't do that in this race. And they're supposed to be a man. And so like, it kind of hit like on the misgendering um, trans issues. And like later on in that show, that same episode, there was a character who was born a woman and did not get changed to a man. And she grew up and it turned out that she was really important to the culture, but nobody knew about it because she was kind of in hiding. And so there was a lot of really, like really timely, really topical issues that were talked about, I think, that are relating to the trans community and trans people. Um, now, I'm not a trans person. I can't speak to that myself. But like as a cis hetero dude who just was watching this show randomly, I felt like, wow, this was making me think about things in a real positive way. I thought the handling on the show was really respectful. I mean, maybe people would disagree. I'm, I'm totally open to hearing about that. Would love to get people's opinions. But I mean, that's the kind of episode that I don't think would come from a transphobic person. And so that's kind of why I was like, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, maybe he was in the past, maybe he's changed his stripes, or maybe I, I just I just it just didn't make sense in my head that this kind of episode, which I thought was really well done, would come from somebody that would be a transphobe. So maybe he's done some maybe he's done some off color jokes in the past, maybe he's been a bad boy in the past, maybe he's not anymore. I don't know, I can't say. Also, I would love to hear from trans folks who have seen that episode, because I thought it was actually a pretty powerful episode, uh, very much so. Um But anyway, I mean, I, I mean, just to be perfectly honest and I, you know, hopefully I'm not offending anybody, but I just think the Orbital is a really good show. Like I really like enjoy it a lot. I think it's pretty well, really well done. I think it's totally carrying forward the spirit of Star Trek. Like all the stuff I like about Star Trek is in this show, plus a little bit of humor to kind of, you know, just kind of glue it all together. I think the writing is really good. I think the, I mean, it's just, it's, it's like the best Star Trek I've seen in years and years. I haven't seen the show that you're watching. What is it? uh, Discovery is what it's called? Yeah. Discovery. I haven't seen Discovery yet, so maybe that's good also. I don't know. I can't say. But, I mean, for me, the last Star Trek show that I really enjoyed was probably Next Generation. Uh, And having not really been in the Star Trek world this whole time, to come to the Orville, it feels exactly like getting more of the Next Generation and its good episodes. So that's, like, super welcome to me.
0: And I like it a lot. Have you had a chance to check it out yet or not yet? Um, I have not. And I sort of, like, floated the idea to Patrick and he was like, um, no, so probably won't watch the show. <laughs> oh,
2: man.
1: It's funny you say that because I've talked to people who are like real hardcore Star Trek fans and it's like they either love it or they hate it. And I think most of them hate it just because it's like Star Trek, but it's not Star Trek. But as someone who just like casually likes it, I think it's great. Like I, I really enjoy it a lot. I really, I mean, and it's, it's very clear that the people who make that show love Star Trek They're very obvious about what they're doing. Like it's, it's clearly an homage and not really like they're stealing anything because it's just so obvious and up upfront, you know, but I dig it, man. I dig it. I still, I still love it a lot. And, um, if anybody listening wants to let me know about Seth MacFarlane or what they thought about the, um, the episode with the aliens having the little baby girl or anything on that show, I would love to talk about it. I would love to get more perspectives and, you know, just see what other people think about it because I can only see it through my own eyes. And I, I, fully accept that there are many ways to see content like this so if you want to drop me a line drop me a line i'd love to talk about it with you um something else that i wanted to bring up okay okay uh a couple things so have you heard of gravity falls the, the cartoon show
0: no but as soon as you said that i thought of gravity rush is it the video game but the chick that walks on walls gravity that is gravity rush gravity rush i don't know what gravity falls is
1: so it's okay. So I'm coming. So like I'm an old dude. I'm older, definitely older. And there's <laughs> been a lot of shows that I hear about because I know like people of all age ranges. I know people who are super old and I, sup- I know people who are super young and I talk to everybody and I always kind of like try to keep a finger on what's going on and et cetera, et cetera, And this is one that seemed to have had like a cult following, but I didn't think it was going to be for me. It seemed to kind of be in the same basket as like Adventure time or Steven Universe or any of those cartoons. Are you familiar with any of those ones?
0: Mm-hmm. I haven't like watched them, but I am.
1: Okay, so like in my head, I mean just from what I picked up, it seemed like Gravity Falls was in that same basket of like slightly off-kilter cartoons that seem like they're for kids, but actually they're talking about other issues. And I don't know if they're I don't know if Steven Universe is any good or not. I'd have a lot of friends who really like that show, especially my queer friends, really like that show a lot. I haven't tried it yet. Um and I have a lot of people who like Adventure Time? I've watched a few episodes of it, and I got to be honest, I really don't like it. It just seems really kind of weird for the sake of being weird, and I don't connect with it at all. So, my son uh, wanted to watch Gravity Falls. He's like, Dad, 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 watch this with me. I really want to watch it. And since I'm homeschooling now, we have some you know greater opportunities to watch TV shows together. So I'm like, All right, well that's cool. You know, it's not something I would have picked out for myself, uh, but I'll sit down with and with you and watch it. And I have to say, it's actually much better than I thought it was going to be, and much different than I thought it was going to be, and I'm really glad that we got into it. Uh, it's only 40 episodes total uh, that has a beginning, middle, and an end, and the uh, series creator just stopped it. Like he, I don't think he was canceled. I think he just chose to end the show because that's where he felt like that was a good ending point, uh, but it's about two kids who go to live with their weird uncle in Oregon for the summer He lives in the town of Gravity Falls, Oregon, which is not a real town, but it's kind of based in the Oregon woods. And so all sorts of weird stuff happens in that town. Like there's monsters in the woods and there's creepy stuff and supernatural phenomena and space stuff and all this kind of stuff. So it's a comedy show, uh, but there's also like a continuing storyline throughout the entire 40 episodes of what's going on in the town. Um, They find these mysterious books and it's like, who wrote these books? Because the books seem to know everything about the town. And so they kind of are piecing together the mystery as they go along. At first, I found it to be a little bit abrasive and a little bit twee and obnoxious. Um, But once I kind of uh, watched a couple episodes, I kind of got into the groove of what they were shooting for. And kind of like the Orville, there's actually been a number of episodes that I felt like were really serious and really impactful. Um, A lot of them have to do with like self-acceptance or, you know, like loving other people, if they're even if they're different. I'm not super overt all the time, but like a lot of the the stories that come up in a lot of the the moments that come up are surprisingly like weightier than you would think would be on a kid's show. There's been a few times when I'm like, oh man, I can't believe they went there. Or, oh, I th- they're not going to say that. They're not going to, oh shit, they said that. I can't believe they said that. Or something like that. I mean, they talk about you know deadbeat dads not being around and how that affects children. They talk about you know girls who don't fit the, um, the norm of what, you know, the standards of beauty. I mean, there's all sorts of um, things like that that come up, but they, I think are really good. And also I think the overall mystery is really good. I think we're at episode 35 out of 40. And it's cool. Like, I genuinely look forward to watching the next episode to see where it's going to go. And I've, I've really grown to like the characters quite a bit. Um, so I do recommend it. Uh, I'm not sure, though, because there's a few moments, despite all the positive stuff, there's a few moments here and there where I'm like, OK, wait a minute, was that misogyny or was that not? <laughs> or there's a few moments where something, just for like a minute, something will come up and I'll go, wait a minute that joke kind of like pinged my radar a little bit and I, and they kind of move on. Like they don't dwell on it too much, but there's a few things that kind of raise question marks. But in general, I found it to be really positive and there's a lot of really good things, like obviously good things. So I don't know, maybe I'm being a little sensitive or maybe the writers were kind of finding their footing as they went. I think most of that stuff is in the first season, not the second season. Um, but overall really good. And I, I don't know how many people in our age range are fans of this if people see it in the same basket that I saw it in. But I really liked it a lot. I think Gravity Falls is great. And my son and I are already talking about maybe doing like a Halloween costume this year based on this characters. So <laughs> I know we must have liked it a lot. So uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I definitely recommend it. Maybe not your jam, but maybe people out there listening have, have watched this, or maybe people out there would like to give it a shot. I think it's pretty good.
0: Excellent. I probably, I mean, you know my track record with TV. I don't watch like any TV. So getting me to sit down and watch something that's not Star Trek is... I can't believe I'm even saying that, too, because that's something I never would have said a decade ago. Um, It's pretty impossible. But, yeah, maybe other people... Um, It's not uh, unfamiliar for people to tell us on the show that they have mostly it's with games and not so much with TV, but maybe it's with TV too, where people will tweet us or write us or something and say, oh, I only looked at this game because you guys talked about it, or I only looked at this thing because I had no idea what it was until you brought it to the show and discussed it. So um, maybe we can extend that reach into stuff that isn't games for once. (laughs) Yeah,
1: man, I I think Gravity Falls is pretty good. And it's, you know, 40 episodes each episode is about maybe 20, 25 minutes. So it's not really all that much to get through. Like I was a little bit concerned at first, but we've been blowing through it pretty quickly. You watch two, three a day and then, you know, it just adds up over time. So it's pretty good. But um, one thing that I, I do want to talk about, a movie is called Dave Made a Maze. Have you seen this
0: or did we talk about it already? Mm, we haven't talked about it and I've never heard of it.
1: Okay, good. I wasn't sure if I'd brought it up or not. Uh, so Dave made a maze. It was a day that we were messing around. All, of us, all three of us, me, the son, and the wife were on the couch. And we were in the mood for a movie, but none of us knew what we wanted to watch. And of course, none of the things we wanted were available for rent yet. So we were kind of just flipping around. And I believe this was on Amazon. I'm pretty sure. We were about to rent something that probably would have been a disappointment. And instead, I'm like, wait a minute, what's that? And it's called Dave made a maze. It was a picture of like a guy in front of some cardboard stuff. And I don't know exactly what it was that caught my attention. It looked like he was in like a cardboard house or something. And so we went back and looked at it. It's a story about a guy who builds a cardboard house in the on the floor in his living room. And then his girlfriend comes home and he's like, hey, I'm in here and I'm stuck. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're inside a cardboard box. Come out, you moron. <laughs> And he's, he's like, no, no, it's bigger on the inside. Trust me, I need help. I can't get out. And so she, you know, she blows him off for like a couple hours. she's like, whatever, you're being a dipshit. But then she eventually um, gra- gathers some friends. They come over because they all think he's being a moron. They go inside his cardboard house, which is just a box in his living room floor. And they go inside and it's like enormous once they go inside. Like, like, it's like the ju-
0: Chronicles of Narnia kind of thing?
1: Basically, yes. It's like the, 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 the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe slash the TARDIS from Doctor Who, slash whatever, uh, Felix the Cat's bag of tricks. It's like one of those bigger on the inside sort of things. And so they go inside and it's this enormous fucking cardboard maze of like weirdness and bizarre stuff and sexual imagery and traps and monsters and all this sorts of stuff. And it was actually pretty fucking cool because the thing that was really neat about it was like, once they go inside the house, which happens pretty quickly, uh, literally every inch of that movie is made with cardboard. So like all the sets, all the props, um, every all the monsters. I mean, everything that they have on camera is made of cardboard. And apparently uh, the wife was doing some IMDb research and they were saying that they dumpster dove for all the cardboard. They would build these sets, film it, and then tear them down. And like, so nothing is left from the movie. And they would just like build and rebuild and tear them down and build and rebuild and, you know, film like one room at a time. It's a really fascinating movie, just visually, because like them being lost in this cardboard maze is so cool. There's like little labyrinths and there's like monsters and there's pits and there's saws and there's just weird rooms and going back and forth. They do a lot of visual tricks that are pretty neat. Um, So it's really interesting. It's a very offbeat, really strange, strange movie. And we watched the whole thing. We thought it was great. Weird. It made us kind of think a little bit. And definitely there's um, a lot of echoes of modern concerns like I think a big parallel uh, a parable from that movie is like you know the fear of failure the fear of not achieving something the fear of trying to succeed in a world that seems really stacked against you and a lot of that came through in this film which I think is probably going to be relatable to a lot of people uh, these days but we got to the end and I'm like oh that was really interesting and cool and wild and I, I thought that was a really fun movie and I looked at the director and I'm like wait a minute Bill Watterson that sounds really familiar And turns out, I actually know Bill Watterson, who directed (laughs) this movie, because he is one of the guys that was the main creator for Lost Planet 3. Oh. One of my favorite games from the year it came out. It was like the black sheep of a series of black sheeps. Uh, But he is one of the guys that wrote, and I don't know if you recall, but Lost Planet 3 was the one where it's basically like the space trucker who was trying to earn a living for his family back home on Earth. And he got shipped out to this other alien planet. There's a bunch of mech suits and stuff. It was uh, one of my favorite games that year and I thought it was wonderful. We had a really long conversation um, with Bill back when the game was around and he was doing PR for it and stuff. And I thought he was a really cool fun guy. And I was just like, "Oh my god, like that guy who I talked to on Lost Planet 3, who I loved his game, actually made this movie which I didn't even know and I just watched it and I loved it also." So that was like a really cool kind of like a kind of twinky-dink, you know? <laughs>
0: It's like you knew he was a genius before everybody else, and now you're, like, proven right about it.
1: I mean, kind of. I mean, I feel like I'm okay taking credit for that. I'm not shy. So, I mean, I suppose. I suppose. But
0: <laughs> uh, it
1: was a cool flick. I definitely recommend it. I think we rented it for, like, 3 bucks or something on Amazon or whatever. It's I'm sure it's on iTunes, too. But, yeah, definitely offbeat, definitely weird. And I, I, I dig Bill's work. I mean, I loved his game. I loved his movie. So I told Bill, whatever you're doing next, man, drop me a line. Let me know. He's like, yep, will do. So... That was kind of cool, kind of neat.
0: Huh. I remember distinctly you talking about, because you've been championing Lost Planet 3 for the longest time, and then I finally played it under your recommendation, and I did not like it. So, whoops on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ah, That's nothing new for this show, man. <laughs> nothing new for this show. Very par for the course. So, I mean, I tried. That's all I can say. Yeah. I, at least you tried, which is more than most people did. I mean, that game did not hit its sales expectations and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Some might even say it killed the franchise. Who knows? But I thought that game was fucking great. I still
0: wear the hat. So whatever. I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I have, I'm going to break the only unbreakable rule we have for banter in a second. Oh Are shit. You ready for this? Oh shit. I'm ready. I'm, bra- I'm sitting down. I'm ready. I'm going to bring video games to banter for a minute no <laughs> all right what 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 is um, it what is it this is like kind of it's kind of a news item but it's also kind of just something i want to complain about and i thought i think i had known it by the last episode but i forgot to bring it up on the last episode um so my one of my favorite developers in the world um IO interactive who develops hitman which is no stranger to the show considering we did a four-hour show about hitman and have talked about i I, w- I wish i could like catalog the amount of hours that we've talked about hitman on the show because it's probably been like 20 hours. I've probably talked about Hitman on this show for as many hours as I have played the games. And (laughs) um, well, they recently announced that they were putting out a double pack, sort of like an HD collection, if you will, which is weird because they already had an HD collection on the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 of Hitman 2, 3, and 4, which is uh, silent assassin contracts and blood money, except for because blood money launched on those consoles, it wasn't a uh, an HD upgrade. It was just basically ported in with HD re-releases of 2 and 3. Um, but now they're releasing, or they did release, like a, I think it was like two weeks ago, an HD, well, HD 4K re-release. 4K is 60 frames per second re-release of Hitman Blood Money and Hitman Absolution packaged together, which is interesting because it's like the fan favorite of the series, Blood Money, packaged with the not fan <laughs> favorite of the series, absolutely the anti favorite, yeah. yes. And I mean, of course, I'm sure they put them together because they were released next to each other. I mean, they came out in sequential order because they can't get
1: rid of Absolution any other way. They got to give it away, yeah, man. Yeah, they, a trash. they
0: ha- well, and this okay, giving it away because this brings me to my point. Because me, being the like sort of Absolution fan that I am, thought yeah, I would love to buy this. It's, like, a two-pack of one of the best games. And, like, Absolution is definitely, like, not the best Hitman, But I still like it enough. Like, I played it a lot back then. I would like to play it again. It's sort of one of those, like, thought experiments of, like, okay, was this game actually bad? Or is it bad, but I'm still able to enjoy it or whatever? So I was thinking about buying it. I mean, it's on PS4. It's on Xbox One. I don't think it's on PC. They might have just, like, upgraded the original versions. Because PC games usually don't get, like hd re-releases because pc um stuff is always like looks better than it does anywhere else anyway or you can get like um like patches or mods and stuff to make them look better so i'm not sure about that but i was like all in on like wanting to get this on the playstation 4 um and so i'm like booting up the playstation network and i'm thinking to myself because i didn't know how much it was and i'm thinking to myself okay it's probably like 30 bucks and that's like pretty steep for like two games packaged together that are kind of old, but, like, maybe I'll buy it for $30, but, like, maybe I'll wait for a sale and I'll just kind of see what happens. So I turn on the PlayStation Network. The double pack of Blood Money and Absolution is $60 on the oh PSN. My God. I was Come like, on. IO Interactive, who are you kidding? Like, I understand that, like, you guys need to get paid and stuff, but, like, $60... Like, we have, like... And like HD triple packs of like Devil May Cry, like one, two, and three that are like $30. Like they like launched at $30. And here we are with two games, one of which is like 10 years old, one of which is like also really old, packaged together for $60. I was like, oh my God, IO Interactive, what are you doing? Like, I want to buy these games. But I am not absolutely, under no circumstances, paying $60 for, first of all, two games that I already own, like, one of them two times over, and second of all, like, two old games that, like, are, like, upgraded in 4K, which is all well and good, because, like, I have a 4K TV, so I guess they'll, like, look really good or whatever, even though they're old games, so really it's, like, how 4K can you get with, like, you know, a decade-old game, um, I just cannot believe for the life of me that they are charging sixty dollars for this, and I know it's gonna be one of those things because the same thing happened with Hitman Two. We're in about a month; it's gonna go fifty percent off on the PlayStation Network on some kind of PlayStation yeah, you sale. You know it, dude.
1: You know it. Um, yeah.
0: So I mean, maybe I'll buy it when it's like thirty or whatever. But like, even like when I went into the store, I was thinking like, wow, thirty dollars would be steep for this, but I still might buy it for thirty dollars. And now I'm thinking like, well, shit, if it goes half off for thirty dollars, that's still maybe too steep for me. Like, do I want to pay thirty dollars? for these two old games that, like, I already own, like, twice, and that, you know, is having them in 4K. The answer is no, Corey, the answer is no. I know, I want them, though, and, like, I want to support IO Interactive, but I don't want to pay $60 for a double pack of two old games packaged together, and I am just shocked that they release these games for $60 bundled. Like, that's just way, way too much. Um, However, however... Iowa Interactive must be doing something right because like a week ago they just announced that they opened a second studio in sweden so like they must be doing okay enough to have launched a second studio um hopefully that will not come back to bite them in the ass but i'm sure that with all the ups and downs they've had they probably put a ton of you know thought and management and effort into this but i was shocked when i got their email that said oh we opened a second studio in sweden um And to be completely fair, I didn't, like, read the fine print of the email to see what the studio is going to be focusing on, because for all I know, it could be, like, a mobile game studio or something. Um, But I was just surprised to hear that they had opened a second studio. So um, despite the fact that you and I had both heard that Hitman 2 kind of wasn't meeting sales expectations, um, they opened a second studio. So I guess hats off to IO. Now make your HD collection cheaper and I'll buy it. Thanks.
1: Well, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I saw the same announcement and I was like, what? <laughs> like, they were just talking about how the sales had not been strong. You know, prices got slashed like almost immediately on that game. I saw a number of critics, uh, you, yourself and myself included, but other critics as well who were like begging their readers to give the game a shot. And I was like, man, that, uh-oh, you know, this might be bad news for IO. And then they're like, yeah, we're up the studio. And I'm like, oh, dear. Like, I mean, <laughs> seriously? Like, I mean, I, I, who knows what that means? I don't know. I didn't see how many people it was. I don't, Like you said, I don't know what kind of games are doing. I don't know what the studio is for. I mean, and uh, I got to be honest, like, I hate to be the negative dude, but in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, so in a month, are we going to see IO close the second studio? I mean, is that what's going to happen? Yeah,
0: I really hope not.
1: Oh, man. I was like, dude, that is weird-ass timing. And of course, as other people have pointed out, they're like, obviously, this has been in the works for a while. You don't just open up a studio in a week. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. But... I mean, I hope they weren't banking on Hitman 2 being a phenomenal success and they were like leveraging the future success that hadn't happened yet as a way of opening the studio because that's going to get them over a barrel and lead to trouble. I hope that's not what they've done. I mean, I hope they had money in the bank and I hope they were ready to open the studio whether or not Hitman 2 was a success if they need it. But I mean, I got to say, like, I am a little bit concerned for these guys right now. I want them... Like, I want IO to live forever, dude. I want I want Hitman games to be coming out forever. I will buy every Hitman game, guaranteed. I will buy every single one. I would, you know, DLC, costumes, send me a figure. I'll have a figure. I'll, you know, whatever. Like, send me whatever. I'll support you guys forever. But like, but don't kill yourselves, you know? Like, don't get yourselves <laughs> into trouble. Don't doom yourselves, you know? I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit worried, man.
0: Okay, I looked at the email while you were talking and I I reflect everything you just said, by the way. Like, I want IO to be around forever and I, like, something that makes me, like, a little bit sick to my stomach is the thought of IO Interactive. I feel like an asshole because, like, like, literally two minutes ago, I was just talking about how I didn't want to pay for an IO Interactive game and now I'm going to, you know, flip the coin and talk about how something that kind of makes me feel a little bit sick is the idea of IO, like, going completely under and, like, the studio being dissolved and then... Hitman going off to another developer. And and that like, if I ever, if I live to see the day where Hitman comes out and it is not IO Interactive, like on the lower right-hand corner of the video game company, I'm going to be really sad about that. However, I'll probably still play it. But I was looking at the email while you were talking, and this is what the email says. It says, the new studio will strengthen... IO Interactive's commitment to deliver exceptional content to the Hitman franchise, community, and all our fans. Furthermore, this will expand our muscles in creating brand new and exciting endeavors, new universes, new franchises. In other words, IOI, Malmo, and Copenhagen are one family. So it sounds like they're committed to... The hitman universe but also they were probably banking on this to launch new franchises in the future if they stay afloat that long fingers crossed
1: i mean cool and i feel really weird saying this i feel like i'm, I'm betraying myself or something <laughs> here but like you know i'm definitely a believer in that you need to branch out i don't want to see the same thing over and over and over you know i, I i'm i definitely fall prey to sequelitis just like everyone else does but Hitman is kind of like the exception, where it's kind of like I would play that game basically forever as long as like new levels kept coming out. And when you look at what IO has tried in the past, I mean, not a lot of string as a success there. I mean, they had Freedom Fighters, which I thought was pretty awesome, but nobody else liked that. Games did not sell very well, and it disappeared. We had Kane and Lynch, which I hated. I've hated both Kane and Lynch games. I know that you were you liked one of them. You liked.
0: Someone I, liked, one of I liked the first one. I did not love it. I liked the first one. The second one is garbage. But the interesting thing about Kane and Lynch is that those games have a huge cult following. Like, there are people... It's kind of like the Far Cry 2 thing, where, like, there are people... like that, Like, 80% of people are just like, yeah, it's mediocre or bad. And then, like, the 20% that love it will, like... They will die like, on that hill that it's, like, one of the greatest games ever made, and it's kind of, like, I I don't understand it because I played through all of Cannon Lynch 2. I don't think it's some, like, misunderstood masterpiece. I think it's just a really boring, repetitive game, but maybe the people who are championing it are just, like, way smarter or way more pretentious than I am. I'm not really sure which is which, um, but, yeah, the Cannon Lynch series, I mean, although it did have a sequel, I don't think it was as financially successful as they wanted it to be because if it were, they probably would have made more of them, um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, I liked the first one. I liked it. I didn't love it. The second one was hot garbage.
1: Yeah, and even even so, I mean, I mean, my my counter to that statement, which is the same thing that I say all the time in many different situations, and this is not directed at you, <laughs> uh, but you can find anything, and that anything has fans. I mean, it could be the worst property in the world. It could be the worst TV show, the worst movie, the worst food. I mean, or the president there of the will United be- States. Yeah. The worst president of the United States. It doesn't matter what it is. You can always find somebody who loves that thing to death. So, I mean, those fans bought the game once and that was clearly not enough to keep that series going. Um, so Candy Lynch didn't go anywhere for them. They did Mini ninjas, which I thought was pretty terrible. I thought that was really bad. (laughs) Um, so they don't have a great track record and I don't want to say don't ever do anything but Hitman. But I I mean, and of course, I don't have my eyes on their financials. I have no idea how well they're doing financially. But part of me, the selfish part of me is like, dude, just don't do anything but Hitman because (laughs) Hitman, you can do good. Don't gamble the studio on some bullshit new franchise because you guys have not done a good job in the past. So please don't kill yourselves launching whatever, you know, whoever knows what it is, new mobile 2D, Infinite Runner or some 4X PC based space exploration i mean whatever wild hair it is you have up your ass io please please don't kill yourselves and please don't kill hitman that's the selfish me talking um i know that's not the right thing to say because we can't you know they don't want to be stuck in a rut forever they don't want to make hitman forever i get that but at the same time like oh can't we just have nice things can't we just have this can't we just have this one thing please
0: (laughs) yes can't we is it too much to ask to have hitman forever (laughs) i don't think it's too much to ask i don't think so either anyway
1: all right dude we have banted any any last little hot scoops you want to get off your plate
0: um i tiny 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 thing in the pre- and i'm also breaking the rule again because i'm going to talk about video games um in the run-up to resident evil 2 remake coming out i've been playing old resident evils a tiny bit here and there and i just would like to report that last night i played a resident evil 5 which i know Resident Evil Five is one that a lot of people are down on because it came after Four, and Four was amazing, and Five like kind of tried to copy it a little bit, and it like wasn't as good. But I, Five was okay. Five was solid. I, I stand by Five. I've played it for yeah, probably okay. one hundred plus hours across like three platforms, and I just want to say that despite the game coming out in like two thousand nine, and it being ported to PlayStation Four, I don't know, like a couple years ago. I was able to find people playing online last night, and I played some Mercenaries matches with someone from Japan and someone from Great Britain last night, and we kicked ass in both of our matches, and I just was really shocked, because I got on Mercenaries, and I was like, oh, let me just search the servers, because I bet there's nobody playing online, and there were like four matches to choose from every time I searched, so I was just shocked that people, I mean, and maybe it's people doing the same thing I'm doing, people who are like dabbling in old games, you know, in the build up to new Resident Evil. But I was just shocked that people are still... And it it was also, like, 5 o'clock in the morning, my time. Like, I was, like, up really, really late last night. So that's probably why I got matched with people from other countries. But I was just shocked that there are still people playing Resident Evil 5 on the PlayStation 4 online, and I was able to match and play and slay with them. So that was fun times last night.
1: That reminds me of how my son... You know, I've mentioned this before, but my son still loves to play the original titanfall on 360 and like there's like nine people on earth who still play that but they play it all the time and whenever he jumps on there's always like the same like nine or ten people so like yeah i mean there's there's dedicated pockets of people all over the place i'm not i'm not too surprised uh so good to hear that i did i thought resident Evil 5 was good i thought that was fine 6 is the one that i can't stand uh but 5 i thought was pretty good i think i played through that with the wife and we had a pretty good time so all right all right i think that's gonna do it for banter we still got a whole show to do so i am ready to move ahead if you are sir
0: i am ready all right dude let's
1: talk about some video games